What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. I'm your host, Connor Balthazar, along with my co-host, Austin, a.k.a. Ace. Hey, everybody. How's it going? I can't say we're back because we've never been, but we're glad to be here today with you. Yeah, and so here, this is our first episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. We're going to be covering K-State sports, uh, more so off-season football stuff right now just because that's the closest sport to where we're at at the moment. And we'll cover pretty much what's going on at whatever point of the year. Yeah, and most important part of the K-State football podcast, the Aggieville Alley Cats, is that it's not just football, it's every single sport that we'll cover throughout the year. And like Connor said, not to be redundant, it's just right now off-season football, and football is the closest sport we got. And believe me, we have a lot of stuff to say, but before you ever listen to someone say anything, you probably want to know a little bit about them. So, Connor, you want to tell them a little bit about yourself? Yes, I do. So, as I said, I'm Connor Balthazor. I am a student at Kansas State. I'm about to be a senior. I'm majoring in political science. I'm pre-law, hoping to go to law school after this year. And I've been a K-State fan for basically my entire life. My first game was technically the 1998 Big 12 Championship game when my mother was pregnant with me, but the first one I remember is I have a very brief memory 2003 Marshall, but we don't talk about that game. So after that, my next memory is Bill Snyder's final game at 2005 Missouri. And so that's my, my K-State fandom and a little bit about me. And so, Ace, you go ahead and take it away and talk about your fandom, which is uh, pretty much completely different from mine. Yeah, it's pretty much the exact opposite. My name's Austin Edwards. Everyone just calls me Ace. It's my initials, if you're wondering. Follow me at <laughs> acedwards00 for terrible takes and me complaining about K-State offenses. That's mostly what you'll see here. But I became a K-State fan actually more or less my freshman year of high school, whenever someone from both of our hometowns, Pittsburgh, Kansas, attended Kansas State, Alex Barnes. That's kind of when I started learning about K-State football in particular, and then I just eventually decided, you know what, I'm going to go to K-State, and I'm entering my junior year majoring in history as well as pre-law, also hoping to go to law school, and my specialty is less recruiting, which is Connor's specialty. He always keeps up with the news, so listen to him on that. I was actually one of the candidates for student coaching at Kansas State, which is a, a story I'll tell another day. But needless to say, one of my specialties is the ins and outs of football, the X's and O's, if you will. So I'll be talking about schemes, play calling, things like that, and I somewhat know what I'm talking about. I, I know more than what an average person on the street would, but we'll, we'll figure it all out together and... Believe me, there will be a lot to say throughout this season. And that kind of goes into our first little little bit here about the K-State preseason, specifically the news that interested me the most, which is the switch in defensive scheme, which I think is very, very interesting given the personnel, if you want to you talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so for those that don't know, K-State for quite a while has run a 4-2-5 defense, which is just if you don't know, four defensive linemen, two linebackers, and then uh, five defensive backs. And we're switching that up this year to a 3-3-5, which is three defensive linemen, uh, three linebackers, and then five defensive backs. But it's not quite as simple as that because 
than the 3-3-5, one of those linebackers is going to be closer to a defensive end, and then the other one, one of the others will be a little closer to a defensive back, and then the other one's going to be a true linebacker. And they've yeah. been kind of recruiting for that personnel here for the last several years. Like, a guy like Lee Duke is perfect for the defensive end role. Wayne Jones started as a safety, but he bulked up and is going to be in that sort of hybrid safety role now. Yeah, and something very interesting with a three-three-five, like you kind of said, is let, let's take a team like the Kansas City Chiefs, who made the opposite switch when they switched from Bob Sutton to Steve Spagnuolo. Bob Sutton ran a three-four defense, and the biggest problem with that defense was they had a lot of tweeners who were decent at certain things, but not very good at any one thing in particular. The number one person I think of is Kansas City linebacker. Dorian O'Daniel, Dorian O'Daniel, who's been okay at just about everything he's done, but not great. And here's here's the part that actually worries me, because moving to a 3-3-5, yes, you, in theory, get more athletic people on the field whenever you put in an extra linebacker, but you also put a lot more complexities into the scheme, which is why Kansas City's defense got significantly better whenever they move to a base 4-3, which is four defensive linemen, three linebackers. Because there was a lot less that one person would have to do. The linebackers would typically cover, the safeties would occasionally blitz, and the defensive linemen would just do what defensive linemen do. And that's not, that's not my biggest concern with moving to a 3-3-5, because among other things, I feel like our weakest unit was middle field coverage, and... Again, Connor and I can both attest to this. We watched multiple games, and the one that I can think of that we got torched in the middle of the field the most was not Arkansas State, because then we got cooked on the outside. But the games that I can think of the most where we got destroyed on the inside was Oklahoma State and Texas, both games that, while Oklahoma State was very close, Texas was not because they abused the middle of the field because we didn't have linebackers that could cover there. Yeah, I, I totally so, agree with that. Like, if you don't mind me butting in, because, like, the Texas game was just absolutely painful to watch because it got to the point in, like, the second quarter where basically every play you kind of knew it was going to happen, and they were either going to throw it, like, right over the middle because Elijah Sullivan was hurt, Justin Hughes was incapable of middle-of-the-field coverage, and whoever else we had in at that point was just not able to cover at all, period. And then either that or they were just going to, like, throw over the middle three times in a row, and then run a sweep just to get around our defensive line because they knew that we yep. couldn't really tackle on the outside. Because, I mean, we're just our defense was just battered going into that game for other reasons, and that was just pretty painful to watch. But uh, the Oklahoma State game was interesting because they didn't really do a whole lot of that over-the-middle stuff at the beginning of the game, but they, they schemed it in the second half because they made a halftime adjustment because we, like, kind of, like, like smothered them in the first half, but mm-hmm. they they figured out wait they they literally have no ability to cover over the middle period, so they just started throwing over the middle and they just got out way ahead of us and we just couldn't do anything about it and that's why they ended up winning that game along with a kind of fluky fumble. Yeah, the fluky fumble and then the the pick on the post route, which was the correct read, but it was a slight overthrow by Kansas State quarterback, true freshman last year. We had to step in after the senior quarterback, Skylar Thompson, 
went down with an injury in the Texas Tech game. Will Howard played relatively well for being a true freshman. This is a completely different tangent. And also, don't don't be afraid to interrupt me because I will inevitably do it to you. And that's just kind of the, the dynamic. It's two friends just talking about K-State sports, which is just something they're passionate about. Probably should have put that in the introduction. But something I'll, I will say is outside of concerns on defense, and this was a big preseason story that I was watching that – and by watching, I mean I would ask Connor about it every single day, was how is our receiver room doing? And you can obviously share. You, you told me one person in particular that's looking very good, and you want to you wanna share his name? He was a potential breakout candidate for a local radio star, which means he's probably going to explode or something. Malik but, Knowles. Yes. Which, <laughs> the, joke for, the joke for Connor and I was spec catch 99, catching zero. Yeah, because he's been one of the more frustrating players uh, throughout his K-State career. And not all of it is his fault. Like, like in fact, most of it isn't his fault at all. But uh, he, in his true freshman season, which would have been our freshman year as well, which was 2018, or my freshman year, you were even a senior in high school. My high school senior year, yeah. Yeah, he uh, um, played his four games that you were allowed to play as a true freshman. Because that was the year the NCAA changed the rule, where a true freshman could play in four games but not burn their red shirt. So they would get that extra year of eligibility, which is huge. And Knowles yeah. had, like, I think it was 10 receptions for 100 yards and a touchdown or two. And he looked really good because that was a receiver core that really struggled. Like, the best guy in that receiver core was Isaiah Zuber, who ended up transferring to Mississippi State. And the rest of the core just wasn't that great. And then in 2019, he came into the year as the number two guy behind Dalton Schoen. And he just, like, some games he just would look unstoppable. Like, the Texas game, like, first play of the game. Like, they put him in the backfield. They motioned him there. And they just gave him a little wheel route, and he just absolutely ended a man's said, career in his ankles. He said goodbye. Yeah, he, he said just, goodbye. Just eviscerated his ankles in one fell swoop, and took it like 75 yards for a touchdown. And it was incredible. But then he'd also just like go two or three weeks and maybe have like one catch for like 10 yards, and just like he would disappear, basically. And yeah. that was exemplified in 2020, got way worse. Like, he only, his numbers were cut in half in 2020 statistically, and he missed a few games from injury, and he also was kind of playing hurt for most of the year. But he just, he, when he's healthy, he's outstanding. Borderline, like, a, an all-Big 12 player when he's healthy, I would say. But he, because he's just got, he's got borderline elite athleticism, and he's just great, but he just cannot make the easy he's catches. Been he's been healthy, and he can't always make the easy catch. As Ace was saying, like, 99 spectacular catch, which, is, if you don't know, is a reference to Madden games and the NCAA football games, and 40 catch, which basically means that he can't catch. <laughs> he, can't, he can't catch the easy stuff. And I, I have a stat line pulled up. Uh, 2018, played four games, 10 receptions, 100 yards, two touchdowns. 2019 was his best season. He played 11 games, which is all but one that we had. And right. 27 receptions, 397, three touchdowns, with a long of 70. I think that was the, the Texas wheel route. Yeah. And then this last season, he fell off the face of the earth. He had half of the catches in only two less games, 
He had 13 receptions, 204 yards, and three touchdowns. And you got to keep in mind how much of that was during the Texas game, which was the game that he had. He decided he wanted to play football during the Texas game. And it was, and I don't want to sound hypercritical of Malik Knowles, because no matter how much I sound critical of any player on this podcast, if they play for K-State, I want them to succeed. And even if they play for most other schools, I don't want to actively see another person fail at what they're doing. But that doesn't stop me from being very critical of him. And Malik Knowles, whenever I heard from Connor that he'd stepped up a lot during spring practices, that, that, really, that really lightened my day up. And it lightened the outlook of the season as well. Because when you look at our the K-State wide receiver room, you don't really have any other names that really stick out to you. Other than maybe our kick returner, Philip Brooks, who also doubles as the wide receiver, the uh, junior from Lee Summit, Missouri, Lee Summit West. And because in the other receiving rooms, the only other receivers that I actively remember from last season, there are two, Sebastian Taylor and Landry Weber and Philip Brooks, both of which were just kind of okay. And then didn't Sebastian get hurt? Yeah, Sebastian, I think he ended up getting hurt after... Oh, he made, yeah, he missed a game. He missed Oklahoma State. Either that or, oh, no, he actually missed three games because he didn't play against Baylor or Texas, it looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, he actually, it says 10 games played, but he just did not record statistics in three games. Okay. And that was three of the last four games. He did not record statistics. So he kind of fell off, and I remember hearing that he was playing hurt. So that was that's he was he was playing hurt to be fair. Granted, a lot of the team was playing hurt at that point, and a lot of guys were missing time with COVID, and the team over the course of the season just got absolutely just battered by COVID. I don't think we'll ever know the full extent of it, other than at one point Coach Kleiman went on a on a KC radio station early on in the year, and they asked him about the Arkansas State game COVID numbers, and I think he said that. 45 players were out for that game. Yeah. Which is absolutely was, nuts. They should not have played that game, period, probably. But they still should no, have beaten because them. because the minimum I think you need to field a team is, if I'm remembering correctly, it's 46. So that's a 90-man roster that we normally have. Yes. I could be completely wrong about that, but normally we have a 90-man roster. So literally half of the K-State football program was gone. Gone. Yeah, straight up. Straight up gone. Like... I think that you may be able to have more than that because of uh, um, walk-ons, but mm-hmm. I think that we had yeah somewhere around forty-five guys out. I remember reading that we had fifty-two active players for that game, and or we had fifty-three or fifty-four, and the limit may have been fifty-two because you have to have uh, at least a two deep everywhere, which includes uh, special teams. Yeah, but the point is is that the team was just absolutely eviscerated, especially in the secondary for most of the year. And I mean, that's pretty clear because it was the unit that had the most attrition at the end of the year. Yeah, and I think I think that's going to be one of the major stories and certainly something that, that we'll, we'll talk about depending on how the season goes throughout the year. How much of this previous season, the 2020 season, where every single team had to deal with so many problems, whether it be injuries or specifically COVID-related problems, some schools not even knowing if they'd get a season at all. And starting late, no spring camps, which is my biggest excuse for why the quarterback, the true freshman, that stepped in, Skyler Thompson, Will Howard, 
played the way he did. He didn't play horribly, but he definitely could have benefited from a bit more time in the offense. And that'll be one of the biggest stories that we need to keep track of and we need to pay a lot of attention to. Because the year before, 2019 season, Connor and I both agreed that we played a really good season because we were seven points away from being, what, an 11-2 team? Yeah, it was 11-2 because it was those three games. It was West Virginia that we just absolutely blew up. The most painful loss. I've, yeah, the most painful. Connor and I were both at this game live. And I remember looking at him, and I can't say exactly what I said because we want to keep this a PG-13 podcast, but I said something to the effect of, wow, we really, uh, we really, uh, did ourselves dirty here, didn't we? Yeah, like, because we, uh, we were down by one and a half, but we were up. We were winning the game by three, I think, going to the fourth. And what should we get scored? Ooh, Ten unanswered. And yep. uh, or we were leading by six. And uh, West Virginia came back. And this was a game where we scored on like one of the first offensive plays that we had. Like we had like that really deep post route to Dalton Schoen. And it was just a mm-hmm. beautiful throw. We were ranked like sixteenth and oh it just hurt so bad. And that was I forget yeah, all. I always forget this, but we drove down the field and nearly had a game-winning drive. Like exactly, and then it, it ended on a ball that quarterback Skylar Thompson threw into triple coverage because yeah. he had no other options because it was like a fourth and eleven. Yep. And I remember that like oh it was because he had a gosh it might have been Gilbert or Jordan Brown. Uh, those are two guys that were running backs that are uh, a couple years graduated now. And they, I think he had one of them like wide open, but he was like getting he hit as he threw it and just slightly overthrew it and went right into the hands of the safety. And just the game ended there. And it's the fact that he overthrew it while getting detonated, I think that's somewhat impressive and speaks to his arm strength. It honestly is. Still. Like, but regardless, it's still ended in a loss. And the week before, we were at Texas and we blew that game as well. I believe. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, we, four- yeah, we took a 14-point lead in the first quarter, and uh, we ended up falling behind, and then we uh, um, ended up losing on a last-second field goal, which that really hurt, and, like, we should we should have won that game, and then uh, we should have beat Navy in the Liberty Bowl, but the Liberty Bowl oh, sucks, sure. and always will. It's the worst bowl game on earth, probably. The stadium sucks. Everything about that place sucks. Although I do like Memphis, like, I do not like the, uh, Liberty Bowl stadium. Liberty Bowl. Yeah, it is just atrocious. Yeah. And uh, we don't, because we, we want to bring balance to this podcast, but, and it's not all doom and gloom. We talked about the two weakest positions that we fell in. Hopefully the player that we hope to break out of one of the weakest positions of Malik Knowles in the wide receiver room. We don't want to make it sound like we don't think that this team will be good. Because there are a lot of positions that, personally, I feel will be huge strengths. Not only for this next year, the 2021 season, but also for many years beyond. And the first person that I want to talk about is the first person that always gets blamed or praised whenever a team wins. And that's the quarterback. We have one of... I don't don't feel like it's too much of a stretch to say at this point that Skylar Thompson, the... I suppose... Isn't he... 
a super, super senior this year? Yeah, this is, uh, I think, his sixth season uh, as a part of K-State. So he'd be a super, super senior because he had a redshirt yep. season. Then he played as a redshirt freshman, sophomore, junior. And then last year would have been his senior year. And he played a couple games and got hurt. So, yeah, this will be year six for him. And something I will say about Skylar Thompson is Connor can attest to this. I'm very critical of Skylar Thompson. I like Skylar Thompson as both a person because he's a great human being, especially with the work he does in the community. Uh, there's one person in particular, uh, a journalist named Mark or Mike Stanley. The work that he's done with Mike Stanley's child is some of the most exemplary work that I've ever seen in community service from a college football player. Yeah, so that's, that's Thompson, Mike Stanley, yeah. Mike Stanley. I, apologies for calling him Mark. Uh, no, you got it. You got it uh, right. You picked the right one. <laughs> I, picked, I picked the correct one eventually. Very good. But not only is Skylar Thompson one of probably one of the best human beings on the team right now, he's also a very serviceable player. I don't think he will ever crack anything close to a top 20 quarterback in college football. But I don't think he needs to be. Yeah. I think Skylar Thompson needs to this is going to sound really mean when I say it. He needs to play like a super, super senior. He needs to put together a few more moments of where his post-snap reads are considerably better. Because that's something that I was surprised with how well the true freshman quarterback, Will Howard, did in his stead. Will Howard didn't make a, didn't make a whole lot of terrible decisions. What he did was he would make the correct read and then over or under throw it because his footwork got sloppy when he was under pressure or he would shorten his arm angle just a little bit but he didn't play horribly despite what your stat line would tell you he didn't play terribly but Skyler needs to play like a super super senior whether it be with his running ability which we've proven he's proven many times before that he can be a threat on read options jet options zone reads even RPOs when the rare times that K-State runs those he can, he's proven that he can be a threat. He just needs to put together the mental aspect of the game. And I feel like he just putting together and being what he should be is going to lead this, lead this program this year to a very good spot. And I'm not sure if you have any, any other opinions on that, if he needs to play better than what you would typically expect or if he can have a little bit of slack but i'm curious to hear your opinion on this i'm basically in the same boat as you if he can play honestly i think what he needs more than anything is consistency because yes skylar thompson at his best is actually probably a top 20 quarterback because he just is making he just he'll make impeccable decisions and he just won't i think the biggest thing about him is he doesn't turn the ball over when he's at his best and that's or even is yeah. at his average he just does not make bad mistakes most of the time. Like, I, I think 2019 uh, versus Oklahoma, Skylar Thompson, or even uh, 2020 versus Oklahoma, Skylar Thompson, the second half. Yeah, it, if we get that Skylar Thompson throughout the year, I genuinely think that I don't think it's a stretch to say that K-State could very easily compete with the Big 12 title, which we'll, we'll go into season projections later on. But to spoil my take, if Skylar Thompson plays the way he should, I think we're very much in contention for the Big 12 this year. I definitely, I, I do partially agree with that. Like, I, I don't think that we'll 
I ultimately don't think we can end up winning it this year. I just don't think we're quite ready. But I do think that, I mean, in, a, in an absolutely perfect gem scenario where everything goes right, we could make the Big 12 title game. But I think that the best case realistic scenario, we finish uh, in the 3-5 to five range. And I think that's great for a team coming off of a not-so-great year, especially if we finish on a good note, which I think is going to be really important. And yeah, because last year we finished on a terrible note. Yes, and that hurts like way more, because by the end of the year, when things are going so bad, you forget about beating OU, you forget about grinding out a win against TCU, you forget about destroying KU. Like, you forget about all that stuff. When you get destroyed yeah. by Texas, you blow it against Baylor, get destroyed by Iowa State, like what pains me to say. Yeah. But I will yeah, say... It doesn't... It doesn't... Sorry, I will add one more thing about the quarterback room, and it's not just Skylar Thompson this year that makes it good. I also think that it may be the best built for the future room on the team, with the exception of maybe running back and offensive line, because I think that legitimately there's probably three quarterbacks on the roster behind Skylar Thompson that will push for the starting job next season, and that's going to be obviously Will Howard. He's about to be a sophomore because K-State's counting the eligibility, they're just moving everybody forward and giving them the option of the COVID year. And then uh, there's Jaron Lewis, who was Kleiman's first quarterback recruit, who allegedly has been outstanding. And he's, he's been making some great throws. But ultimately, it's just decision-making needs to get underway, underhand. And then Jake Rubley, who's he's a freshman from Colorado, and he was a four-star recruit at quarterback. And... Yeah, four he, out of five stars for un, people unfamiliar. Four out of five. Yeah. And so he's he was considered a very highly rated prospect. And 24-7, I believe, had him uh, as like a, a pretty highly rated uh, four-star. Rivals had him around the same way. ESPN had him at a borderline five-star, I think. Like, he, he was very highly regarded. And he's the best yeah. recruit K-State's gotten in at least a decade, I think. Yeah. So this this room is built for the future, and I think that's really encouraging. Yeah. So the the long term outlook at quarterback is is very good because, like, I look at, I look at four names in particular that could go to just about any mid major, and start, and be an effective starter. Jake Rubley, I think, will probably. This is my hot take, and people will crucify me if they ever get the email, which hopefully they will at some point. I think that Will Howard, in his junior year, will beat out Jake Rubley in his redshirt freshman year. That's my hot take. But I see names here that would start and would be effective starters, and I think Jake Rubley has the potential to be the best quarterback that K-State has had since Colin Klein. Yeah, like, if even if Jake Rubley can be a guy like Jake Waters, if we can have Jake Rubley be Jake Waters, that would be absolutely incredible. Because Waters was a great quarterback for us. Granted, we don't know how much of that was the fact that he had uh, NFL superstar Tyler Lockett on his team. But yeah, Jake Rubley, he has a ton of potential. He's a natural thrower, and he can scramble if he needs to. Like, he's basically Skylar Thompson, but further along in his development. And he, he's kind of raw right now. I went to the uh, the spring practice, and he definitely was the fourth-best quarterback on the roster. But that's more of a good thing, because Skyler is clearly the, the most ready. Will, Will, I will say, was 
he far exceeded my expectations. And Jaron Lewis completely surprised me too. He was making some great throws. That's that's what you want to see. Whenever you have, a, a, and it's a it's a young room. Jake Rubley, true freshman. Jaron Lewis isn't he a true sophomore or is he a redshirt sophomore? He's a redshirt sophomore. Okay. And then you have Will Howard, who's a true sophomore. That's a young group of guys who are making throws that are pretty impressive to make. So that that's just progress alongside. But a quarterback can't do it on their own, which is the number one thing that everyone will always say. It's why the debate between Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers, both quarterbacks of now the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and maybe the Packers. The Every future. day that passes, it's more and more likely he sticks around, I think. So that's why that debate's been around for so long. But I feel that we have another group of people who are willing and going to be able to help the quarterback in this year, Skylar Thompson, be successful. And that is our group of running backs. And you alluded to this earlier that you said this is probably our best young group of guys. And I have to 100% agree. Yeah. Because not only do you have the, the last year's freak breakout superstar in Deuce Vaughn, number 22, out of Round Rock, Texas, who I love him because he's five foot five, which just watching someone five foot five torch people in, is very hilarious. And I'm not trying to diss on him for his height. I think it's actually a good thing. Please, Deuce Vaughn, do not kill me if you find me. I love you as a player. <laughs> but... Outside of Deuce Vaughn, it's not like there's just nobody. You have a bunch of people, including someone that I personally think will have a breakout year. You have Keon Mosey from Lee Summit, a sophomore, Jacardier Wright, Joe Irvin, and Clyde Price, all of which are relatively young guys that can step in and will inevitably have a role, if not just to spell Deuce Vaughn. And that that is a group of guys that I have a lot of confidence in, and they've done and Tyler Brate, is it Brate? Is it pronounced like that? Uh, Taylor Bratt? I thought it was Bratt. Taylor Bratt. I, Taylor Bratt. Forgive me for mispronouncing people's names. You'll you'll learn very quickly that I can pronounce every other word unless it's the person's name. That's going to be like my thing. But he's done an excellent job recruiting in this running back room. And do, do you do you agree, or do you think there's a another group of another group of guys that you think might help out a little bit more this year? I think that. It's, I think it, this is, it's either running back or offensive line, because I think the offensive line is absolutely loaded for the future. Uh, but running back, I think, is a great answer as well, because like, I, I don't think that like you can argue for one without accepting the other, because I think it's clear that like wide receiver is going to be probably the weakest offensive room, followed by tight end. And tight, tight, end, and tight yeah. end is still going to be pretty good, honestly. Like You can even make an argument for them if you based on potential. But running back, we have no commodities. Like, Deuce Vaughn was incredible last year. We all know that. And with a functioning offense around him, he's only going to be even more dangerous. Joe Urban is a guy that I really liked when he was a, uh, a true freshman because he got some time. He did end up getting hurt, and he opted out last season for COVID reasons. But he came back. Like, unlike most of the opt-outs, most of the opt-outs ended up uh, transferring. But Joe Urban, yeah. he, he came back for the team. And then Jacardier Wright was a guy that, he got some playing time as a freshman, and he looked promising. And he didn't get a ton last year, but apparently he's really straightened out whatever issue it was that was holding him back. And he, he had some pretty 
bright spots. He had some good moments in the, uh, the spring practice, and I, I think he could be really interesting. And Keon Mosey is basically Deuce Vaughn, but switch out agility for straight line speed. Like, where Deuce Vaughn is the guy that's going to run small circles around you, Keon Mosey's going to burn you in a 40-yard dash. And both, both are important skill sets, and I think that the fact that Deuce Vaughn can, every single time I mention Deuce Vaughn, I can't help but bring up the, the KU game from this last year, oh, where yeah, he just was, destroyed uh, Gavin Potter. Yeah, I think you mean to say Ray Lewis, like as, as he indicated on Twitter after. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because he, uh, he had the audacity, so after he just got absolutely demolished on, na- on live national television in front of everybody's eyes. We witnessed the murder firsthand and nobody reported it. And yep. and he, he said even Ray Lewis like missed tackles from time to time. Like insinuating that he has a chance He's Ray Lewis. Yeah. Like like how can you possibly compare yourself to Ray Lewis? Like and also why would you particularly want to why? I guess why would you do that? Yeah like why would you do that? <laughs> and because I mean Deuce just was incredible last year. He put so many people on skates. Like the Texas game that was atrocious. He was the one bright spot there. Like he had yeah. two great touchdown runs in that game. He was the highlight. Like and that's what he was the whole year. He was a human highlight reel. PFF loves yeah. him and apparently hates Brees Hall. If you ask Iowa State fans, <laughs> like the, find someone who loves you as much as PFF loves Deuce Vaughn. That's honestly what everybody should be going for because PFF just adores Deuce Vaughn, and I get why he's so high in their ratings because they base their ratings off of production, basically in spite of the offense sucking. And mm-hmm. he forced missed tackles, which has nothing to do with the rest of the team, and he broke tackles, which is all him. And Brees Hall, he's I'm not going to say he's a bad running back because he's obviously a very good running back, but Iowa yeah. State as a whole was a much better team than he was last year, and they, were, they just functioned more. And he had better blocking for him. He didn't need to break as many tackles. He didn't need to do as much as Deuce Vaughn was forced to, basically. So, like, PFF, when PFF says Deuce Vaughn is, like, the top returning, it's because he has the best grade because he did things in spite of the offense around him, as opposed to Reese Hall, who was complimented by everything around him. Yeah, and that that just makes you think of how good would Deuce be if every single person on the team was clicking along with him? I think we may have a chance to see that this year. I'm, I'm kind of, I'm low-key excited for this offense. I don't think they're going to be, like, the greatest offense to ever take the field. But I think they're going to be at least 2019 levels, probably even better, just because we're going to have, I think, we're returning almost everybody on the offensive line, if not everyone. And Yeah, we are. Yeah, because we're going to have, I think, Cooper Beebe. Uh, he's a redshirt freshman from... Oh, KC area. I forget exactly where, but he's. Uh, I, can, I have it pulled up. Yeah, he's um, uh, going to be the starting left tackle, I believe, for now. And he's from Kansas City, Piper. Gotcha. Then, uh, gosh, and then uh, I think Christian Duffy will be the right tackle. Noah Johnson will be back for center. Then Josh Rivas and Ben Adler, the guards, they're both back. But we're also going to Josh see- Rivas. Yeah, Josh Rivas, he was a PFF darling his true freshman season. So if he can really put it together this year and return to his former self in his senior year, like he might be a guy that gets drafted because he's huge. 
Like he's six six three hundred twenty on the roster. That's a massive yep. guy. That is a large human being. <laughs> yeah, he's a, a unit of an individual. But Wasn't he like second team Big Twelve despite not miss never starting a game? Was it two years ago? Yeah, his true freshman or redshirt freshman year, he was like second team All Big Twelve, and he never started a game. Like, so that that just that, that speaks to how good of a player he is. Yeah. But I'm also excited for some younger guys like sophomore Taylor Poitier. He started the last two games because of injury, and the running game just shifted from once he started. Because he, he just was a more athletic run blocker, and he just was really, really good for the run attack. Then Taylor Warner, he was a 24-7 four-star, and he's a redshirt freshman, and he just needs to grow into his frame a little, and he's uh, in line to start a guard. This is going to be yeah. a really good offensive line, and when the style that K-State has has a good O-line, they're going to be difficult to stop by anybody, because we can just run you into the ground with Deuce Vaughn, Joe Irvin, Jacardier Wright. Then we can run play action and throw it to like Daniel Amaterbebe or Malik Knowles. Because when the running game's working, some of the weaker spots on the team, they're gonna be strengthened. Yeah. And that's that's something that again, over the over the course of the season, whenever we lose, you'll probably hear I'll prob the first thing I'll probably say is, Well, why do you think we lost this week? I mean, that's assuming we, we lose a game, because obviously K-State's going to go undefeated. Uh, yeah, yeah, we won't ever have to have a losing podcast, so it won't matter. Exactly. Yeah. But on the off chance that we do lose, the, the number one thing, and Connor has listened to it for years, is that well, we don't run RPOs. Well, we don't run as many complex concepts as we should. Complex for the defense, simple for for the offense. And that, that'll be a conversation we'll have later, but obviously we're never losing a game, so we're not going to have it right now. Um, but, but do we want to dive into some uh, recruiting news? Because we've talked about a lot of preseason stuff. Yeah, preseason, let's move on to... So, since we talked about the team now, let's talk about a little bit of recruiting news, which I told everyone this is this is your moment to shut And I'll, I'll offer a little side commentary in, in what I think scheme fits would be and things like that. So I'll go ahead and start with the 2022 class. Uh, right now there's four commits, which it, it feels like it's bad because we've just swung and missed on several guys, i.e. Caden Crawford and uh, i.e. soon to be Jaron Kanak or uh, Jaron Kanak. Uh, yeah. But then you go look at teams like uh, Texas Tech. They don't have a single commit for 2022, and they really struggled to put a class together in 2021. That is a team where I think we're going to see coaching turnover here in the next two years. Because Matt Wells Matt Wells was a candidate for K-State's job, and we didn't end up even, I don't think we even interviewed him. And we clearly dodged a bullet because... Yeah, clearly. Because Texas Tech, Cliff Kingsbury, he wasn't great just because he couldn't get, get anything on defense going for them, but he, at the very least, was consistently average to below average. Matt Wells is at the moment, kind of running that team into the ground with the exception of Tyler Shaw transferring in. And he might be yeah. solid for them. But as a whole, that's a team that I'm not super worried about because yeah. they're, they're just not building anything right now. But they, they may prove me wrong. They may prove me wrong. But K-State... Cliff Kingsbury got, a, got an NFL job because he coached Patrick Mahomes, the current Kansas City quarterback. Like, let, let's not pretend 
that that will be my take that he got hired because he coached Patrick Mahomes, and if Patrick Mahomes did not go to Texas Tech, Cliff Kingsbury would not have a job. I I think that's totally fair. And Kingsbury, he's a quarterback whisperer. I don't think anybody can deny that because he mm-hmm. coached Baker Mayfield momentarily. He I think he had I think he was around there when Graham Harrell was there. He's coached a lot of pretty good quarterbacks uh, while he's been at Texas Tech, and he. He just coaches him up. Like Patrick Mahomes wasn't a super highly rated recruit, and he's now oh, he wasn't. <laughs> yeah, he, he's now the best quarterback in the NFL, I would say, and I think most people would say. And so he's clearly good. At, he's very good at coaching one thing, which is passing offense. He's great at that, but he can't really do defense. And I think at the NFL level, that's better for him because he can leave that to his D coordinator because it's gonna be very experienced people around him, and that. Being at the NFL level, hopefully for him, will uh, overshadow some of his uh, uh, his falling points. But back to K-State, uh, right now yeah. for the 2022 recruiting class, so these would be guys that are going to be signing their uh, letter of intent to play K-State in either December or February of next year. And so right now the top guy on 24-7 is Silas Edder. And what I like more about him than anything that he does on the field is what he's been doing off the field. And that's been basically recruiting other people. He has been, since the day he committed, he has been recruiting harder than, honestly, some of the coaches, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, and he's, because he's just, in everybody's DMs, he's, he's got uh, guys on his team that are pretty important targets for us coming up. And he's working on them as well. And that's invaluable, honestly. And that's not even to say that he's a bad player. Because I think that he's, he's pretty athletic. And he's a guy that could ultimately be pretty interesting uh, for K-State. He's listed as an athlete. And I think he plays receiver. But I think we're uh, he's being penciled in as a linebacker right now, I believe. And yeah, I really like that one. Yeah, yeah he's 6200. Number eight athlete in the state of Kansas from Eudora. And something that I've noticed with him is very similar to you, and it's not something I noticed until now. If you find any recruit from Kansas, you have probably a 50-50 chance of Edder being right below the Kansas State unofficial recruiting Twitter trying to get people to come to K-State, which one of the recruiting goals that Kleiman set forth from the very beginning of his tenure here, Chris Kleiman, the Kansas State head coach, was that he wanted to win the state of Kansas in recruiting. Because that's not something K-State has been able to do recently. We lose out a lot of recruits to KU, God knows why. We lose a lot of recruits to Oklahoma State, Iowa State, Nebraska, MU. We lose a lot of Kansas kids that could have stayed in state, but didn't. And that's why I feel like his most important goal, Chris Kleiman's most important goal, is to win the state of Kansas and keep Kansas kids here. And Edder is an underrated part of that. Because he's going to help spread the word that the K-State program is a good program. Yeah, like, I think that's one of his most valuable assets right now. And if if he can play a part in getting the other Eudora guys to come here, that'd be absolutely massive. Because there's two guys there for two years from now, 2023. And one of those guys is Jaden Bender. They're both named Jaden. But Jaden Bender's a receiver. And he's a... I believe he'd be about to be a junior now, rising junior. And he's from Eudora, and he's a guy that is being targeted right now by K-State. 
and I don't know a ton about him other than he's teammates with Eder and Ham, and he's good enough to be recruited at a Power 5 level. I'm looking at rivals right now, and mm-hmm. he's his only interests right now are KU and K-State, but as of recording this episode, which is June 4th, he visited K-State just one day ago, and there's pictures on Twitter with him, Silas Eder, Taylor Brack, K-State's recruiting coordinator, and Jaden Ham, who's the other guy from... Uh, from Eudora that K-State's recruiting right now. He's listed as a tight end. Apparently, in some of his workouts, he's looked uh, somewhat unathletic, but I think there's two options there, is that either A, he grows into the frame of an offensive lineman, because he's 6'6", six six, which is pretty massive, even for a tight end. Mm-hmm. And he's 215 pounds, but he may end up growing into an offensive lineman. Who knows if he wants to do that? Or the other one is that he's still growing and he's young and the athleticism will catch up. And just right now, he just hasn't adjusted to the size. But yeah. Jaden Ham might be the bigger target of these two, mainly because Jaden Bender doesn't have a ton of outside appeal at the moment, whereas Jaden Ham, his recruitment had a bit of a mini blow-up. And he's, he's got offers from... Not just K State and KU, but Arkansas's offered him, Iowa State's offered him, Michigan offered, Missouri, Nebraska, Penn State, TCU. He's got a, a pretty hefty recruitment going on right now, and he made he just made up, I believe it's his first visit, and now it's K State. And if staying home is important to him, and Silas Edders in his ear every day, come to K State, come to K State. It's possible yeah, and that we may end up getting the, the per- Yep, and. Something I will always believe in is, despite what NCAA will tell you, the first visit that a recruit gets, they'll never forget it. They will never forget the first people that will that believed in them. And if it's between a bunch of schools that offered them later, even if they're slightly better, now I'm not saying that there's going to be, if some, if a Division two school offers a first visit and then Ohio State gives some the kid the offer, I'm not saying that that's going to be the difference, but... I am saying that if it's between two similar schools, it's going to go to the school that gave the kid the first visit because they will see that they believed in them before everyone else did. And getting those early visits is very important in the career. And that's why I'll always talk about, especially recently, with someone we'll inevitably talk about throughout the year and into next year, Avery Johnson and Dylan Edwards. Yep. We got them to visit, what was it, two two or three days ago? Yeah, that was either June 1st or 2nd. We got them in as fast as possible when the uh, dead period that the NCAA had instilled due to COVID was finally lifted at the end of May. Because like, like, cause Avery Johnson and Dylan Edwards are probably the two biggest targets uh, for K-State for the next two years. I would imagine that they might even be recruiting them harder right now than they're recruiting some 2022 guys just because of how big they are, not just in terms of athleticism, but also just in terms of symbolism for this program. Because Avery Johnson is going to be the best quarterback to come out of case, or out of Kansas in a very long time. Like, I'm trying to think of Kansas quarterbacks. The last guys I can think of that have been as good as him or highly regarded as him on the recruiting trails, maybe a guy like Nick Patton, and that was back in the mid-2000s. And he never even made yeah. it to Kansas at K-State. But Avery Johnson, he's out of maze, and he is still a young prospect, but he is really highly regarded. 24-7 has him as 
a four-star. He's a top 250 prospect in the country, which Kansas has two of those guys this year, which is very unusual for Kansas because we aren't we just aren't a recruiting hotbed. But along with Avery Johnson is Dylan Edwards, who is a running back prospect. He's from Derby, and apparently he and Avery Johnson they're they grew up as friends. And Dylan Edwards, he is basically Deuce Vaughn but bigger. He's five foot nine to the five foot five, but they have fairly similar play styles. He's another highly regarded recruit. And he's the guy that it's absolutely imperative that K-State can win this. And Dylan Edwards may ultimately be more important than Avery Johnson because, above all else, Dylan Edwards' dad played football for K-State. Leon Edwards. Yeah, and that, that would be a very... That'd probably be one of the most embarrassing losses that K-State... That'd be like, for for, for, for a similarity here, a, a recruit, one of the four commits that we have for this next year is Sterling Lockett, who is the... Cousin? He's the younger brother of Tyler Lockett. Lockett. Oh, he's the younger brother? Yeah. He's the younger brother of Tyler Lockett, who is in turn the son of Aaron Lockett. He's the son of, of uh, he's the son of Kevin Lockett. Aaron Lockett's his uncle. Kevin Lockett. That's where I got confused. My apologies. Uh but that that entire Lockett line has come for K State. If we lost out on say Sterling for this year, which we didn't unless he decommits, please don't. If we lost out on Sterling, that would send a message that, okay, a bunch of legacy recruits didn't come here. Something is wrong. So it is very important to get Dylan, not only for the reason that Connor brought up and that I expanded on by saying we need to get legacies, but if we get Dylan Edwards, and with his relationship with Avery, I think that we could land but i think where one goes the other will follow I, I think that that's entirely possible i do think that ultimately avery's recruitment is going to blow up more than dylan's just because avery is i mean he's a quarterback and he, those are much harder to come by than running back like even for dylan edwards case has a backup plan and alan mitchell and alan mitchell's a running back out of uh st louis and he's a pretty similar skill set although he's a little bit bigger not quite as quick but he, he also visited at the same time as Dylan Edwards and Avery Johnson. And apparently they had to sit down with the coaches, like Avery Johnson, Dylan Edwards, and uh, uh, Alan Mitchell, and they just showed them film and just said, here's what we want to do with you. I'm assuming they showed Dylan Edwards and Alan Mitchell do Swan film, because why wouldn't you? But, yeah, because what? Yeah, you got to get the subtle plug in. Be like, deuce, Vaughn. Yeah, be deuce, be deuce. And, uh, but... But Dylan Edwards, he, he's going to have a pretty big recruitment. But Avery Johnson is a guy that I, I think that if, if Oklahoma didn't already have their guy, they have a recruit, Oklahoma does, that they want from uh, uh, California. He's the number one rated recruit in 2023. I think if they didn't have that guy, Avery Johnson would be on their offering radar. And if OU, if Lincoln Riley went to Avery Johnson's home and extended him an offer, he's probably taking that immediately because – why would you, as a quarterback, why wouldn't you want to go to OU and uh, be taught yeah. under Lincoln Riley, who's had just an absolutely incredible track record at quarterback? Yeah. With Baker Mayfield, who's in the NFL, was a number one pick. Kyler Murray, who's in the NFL, the number one pick. And he had Jalen Hurts for a year, who's in the NFL, and was a second round pick. Now he has Spencer Rattler, who's currently still in college and might be a number one pick. Yeah, and he's the favorite to win the Heisman this year. 
Uh, complete side note: if you haven't watched, uh, if you haven't watched QB One, it's a Netflix series. It follows Spencer Rattler. If you want to like Spencer Rattler, please do not watch that show. You will end up leaving with a very bad time. Apparently, what everyone says is, well, it depends on who you ask. A lot of people say he wasn't as bad as the show made him out to be, and I don't want to make this an entire tangent, but there are a lot of people who said he was exactly as bad as he wanted to be, which every negative stereotype you could ever think of about a quarterback is what that show portrayed. Anyway. <laughs> but, yeah, recruiting, those are the big, good highlights. If K-State could land Avery Johnson, Dylan Edwards, and then add a guy like Jaden Ham or another guy like Will uh, Ancio out of Wichita. He's a tight end. Or they can add other guys like Jaden Bender. That's another huge recruit for that recruiting cycle. Or they can even look into other guys that are just down the line there. Like, here, let me just look at their offer list right now. Let me look for, for names. Oh. Yeah. One person that you and I talked about for this next year to, to kind of bring it back to, because we, we don't want to steal content from next year, Connor, but assuming this podcast still runs. <laughs> hopefully. Um, hopefully. The, with, our, with both of our records of how podcasts have gone, maybe not. Maybe not. But <laughs> someone that you and I talked about, especially before this, was Moutier Rubin out of Riverside, Missouri, suburb of Kansas City. Right. Yeah, uh, you and I, you seem to think that I don't think he's the most important recruit for this next year. You're very high on him, and you want to go into into why? I am very high on him, mainly because I think that every day that passes, it's more likely that we get him because for whatever reason, bigger schools just haven't been coming in to offer him. But I mean, if you just look at his film, he's just an athletic freak. And allegedly, he's only been playing football for about a year and a half or two years. He played soccer up until the last few years. And now he's playing football, and he's kind of going under the radar, and I think it's because of that. He's, been, he's a, a mid-level three-star, mid-level three-star in 24-7, and he's a higher three-star on rivals. But right now, his only Power 5 offers that I am seeing is K-State... KU, then Vanderbilt, and that's it. He's offered by no other Power 5 schools, and Vanderbilt barely counts, and KU barely counts, so he essentially has one Power 5 offer right now. One Power 5. You may have one. You may have one, but no more. But there's been other schools that have, like, flirted with offering him. Like, Missouri has kind of poked, poked around. There's in Colorado poked around. California and Stanford have been poking around, but just nobody's Missouri wanting... needs to leave our recruits alone. They need to stop it. They, they do. keep stealing tight ends. Yeah, and he's he's a great I think he's a great prospect. He's 6'3", 190, might be closer to 6'4". And he's the type of receiver that can finally upgrade the K State receiver room because K State's receivers have just not been great the last few years. They've generally had one guy that's good, and then they just kind of struggle outside of that. Like Byron Pringle, Dalton Schoen, hopefully Malik Knowles in the upcoming year. But who do you, Ruben? This last year, was it was uh, Sebastian Taylor. I would say was probably the guy that was best. I, I would say, yeah, you're probably right. It was probably Sebastian, and that, that was more 
by default, I suppose, because yeah. he, he, he didn't even have 300 receiving yards. Nope. Ultimately, Deuce Vaughn is the best receiver on the team. Yep. And this Deuce Vaughn, he had uh, the most receptions on the team. Riley Moore was second, and then it was Cabastin. So we didn't have a receiver until third best on the team, like in yards and receptions and touchdowns. It's just it's a little sad, honestly, but Moody Rubin is a guy that he won't come in and immediately make an impact, but he's a guy that with development, he, I think, could be really, really good. And I, I think that K-State does stand a decent shot at getting him, if for no other reason than just because he's, he's just kind of flying under the radar right now despite having a pretty solid rating. And there's other receivers that I think K-State has a good shot at that may, may end up landing with them as well. Like, they may have a guy, Grant Page. Grant Page is a receiver that I haven't seen a ton of film on him, but he he's another bigger guy. He's listed as an athlete. He's warm to Nebraska on 24-7. But he's, he's getting more attention. I think he's visited K-State by now. And then... Maybe a guy like, uh, oh, what's his name? Uh, Robert Spears Jennings. Uh, he's from Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. He was visiting a few days ago. And he's been, right now he's projected to go to Ole Miss, but we'll see. And yep. the, the K-State, they have plenty of receiver targets right now because I think they see that that's the room that needs a lot of help. Absolutely. But that's most yep. of the recruiting news that I have. That's kind of a lot, but most of the exciting stuff right now is happening in the 2023 range, and that's not going to be resolved for probably another year at the, at the yeah. minimum. Yeah. Uh, one person that I will mention that I've seen a lot of, I've seen a lot of and a lot about, uh, and that's because a, a former transfer uh, from K-State, Joshua Youngblood, where he transferred to Rutgers, this was something that a lot of people were talking about, and that is now a four-star ride receiver out of Tampa Bay, Florida. That is Greg Gaines. And a lot has been made about that connection and this weird this weird connection that K-State has to Florida and Georgia in particular. Uh, 24-7 Sports has him warm and as a top-five offer. The main school that I'm worried about, especially from this from Tampa, Greg Gaines being from Tampa, Florida, is the University of Central Florida. That is the main one that I'm worried about, but I think that there might be some credence to the K-State Florida connection, where I don't know what it is we do if we have a regional recruiting coordinator that's very good with the southern part of the United States, but that's someone that I would keep an eye on because by, by all accounts, he would be someone who has a lot of speed and a lot of upside, similar to what Joshua Youngblood had before he transferred. You're going to hate what I'm about to say, but what I've been reading on the message boards is basically that the reason K-State is getting so many people at least interested from Florida is Courtney Messingham. He just recruits. Okay. He's our Florida recruiter, and he's the reason that these guys are even interested. So I, I know you're not a huge Messingham uh -huh. fan, but he's our recruiting connection down there. So I'm well, sorry. I'm sorry to reveal this uh, this sin <laughs> to you, but yeah, you, you he, have to know the truth. Keep, if he keeps getting us Florida recruits, I we can we can keep him. He's on thin ice, but he can he can stay. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, and then I guess one more guy I should mention on recruiting is quarterback Richard Torres. 
he's a guy that I I think that might end up picking K-State. It's going to be between K-State and Nebraska, at least as of now. Maybe Texas Tech may swoop in and give him an offer. They haven't yet for some reason. He's a Texas quarterback. But um, I think that Nebraska ultimately pulls off. I think K-State might be able to get him. Because uh, those are, according to 24-7, the two highest schools on him right now. He has a prediction towards Nebraska, but who knows what Nebraska is going to actually do. And they've been running more of a running quarterback sort of system recently. And from yeah. what I can tell, Richard Torres does not really fit that mold. He's more of a pro-style guy. Like he's just going to throw it more. He's more of a passer. So yeah. I don't know if Nebraska ultimately is even going to want to go that direction unless they're thinking of a scheme switch. But that's a guy yes. to keep your eyes on, Richard Torres. He may have a visit scheduled to K-State. I'm not 100% sure. But, but that's that's uh, about it for recruiting news for me. Unless you have anything else that yeah. you want to add? Nope. I think we're ready to get into, instead of looking ahead to the future or the far future, let's look ahead into the near future, which is the 2021-2022 season for the K-State Wildcats, which we'll just be going down the schedule. We'll start with just going through a brief overview of every single game, what we think the keys to victory are going to be, and honestly, which games will scare us the most. And the the first game of the season is against the Stanford Cardinal, which is the All-State College Football kickoff game. It is in Arlington, Texas at Jerry World or AT&T Stadium, which is the Dallas Cowboys Stadium. And this is... I think it is the first Power 5 game, or the first game between two Power 5 schools, which is why it's the college football kickoff game. I know there are other games before, but no one really pays attention to those. Yeah, some um, of the Week 0 stuff here. I can, uh, I can look um, online to see uh, what games are happening that early. But Casey Stanford is going to be one of the very first ones. Oh, Nebraska at Illinois is happening... Uh, a week before, during week zero. Is Illinois uh, Power 5? Yeah, they're big time. Then, oh. is anything else happening? Boise State at UCF is like pseudo Power 5, I suppose, because they're both yeah. very good. Ohio State, Minnesota is happening Thursday, September 2nd. Then, the Michigan State at Northwestern, that's a conference game happening September 3rd. That's kind of strange. Yeah, but then, anyway, so K-State will be the third, fourth? They are very early on. They're the first, yeah. they're one of the first uh, Power 5 non-conference games. Because for yeah. some reason it's, there's a conference game happening. I don't know why that is. That's really strange. And you know what, Nebraska-Illinois, that's a, that's a conference game as well. So, K-State-Stanford is actually the first Power 5 non-conference game. You were right. I was right in the most technical way, because that's not what I meant, but... But you, you, you were right for the wrong reasons, basically. I was correct for the wrong Task reasons. Task failed successfully on this, so... Indeed. So, uh, going into... Well, let's start with the baselines for what K-State did last year, because we'll also reference what they did last year. K-State was a team that went 4-6 and six and started off really hot after the loss to Arkansas State. We beat, was it number 3 at the time, Oklahoma? I in, believe so in Norman, which is their, the University of Oklahoma's campus. We beat them there. 
Then we rattled off a win against Texas Tech, which was the game that quarterback Skyler Thompson got hurt. Then we played against, was the next week TCU or KU? That was TCU. We went against TCU at TCU with the true freshman quarterback, Will Howard. Then we won against KU, which I don't want to take for granted, but I'm going to kind of take for granted. And then the wheels fell off the season. And we rattled off five consecutive losses, three of which were very, very painful to watch, those being the Baylor, Iowa State, and Texas games, all of which hurt my soul to even mention. But last year was, I will call it a mulligan season for head coach Chris Kleiman, because there was a lot that went wrong. Yeah, I I, I agree with you on that, because I know that a lot of fans don't want to hear it, I think that it's at least a somewhat viable excuse just to bring up that COVID really hurt K-State. And and that's not to say it didn't hurt other schools, but I also think that if you look at it objectively, K-State did get hit harder in different ways. And that's mainly from K-State lost a lot of scout team guys, which is yeah. almost as bad as losing starters because your starters just don't have people to practice against. And I'm sure at some points coaches were filling in on the scout team, which you never want to have. And yeah, like and thing, and the team just got more battered over the course of the season. And also, this also was destined to be probably the worst year of Chris Kleiman's tenure. I think at least early on, 2019, he I think I think he over uh, I think he overperformed what his expectations were. And in 2020, the expectations were raised because of that. But as I recall, going into his tenure, uh, 2020 was always thought to be a down year just because of who we were. We were going to be losing a lot. And yeah. and just in general, like, we were expecting regression because he wasn't going to have, like, his full class in. And some of the last Snyder classes, a lot of guys ended up transferring out of there. Yeah. And... And that ended up that happened. Although I think the reason it hurt so much is because they were four and one and ranked like number sixteen at one point, and yep. then it was just there was just a complete collapse from there, and that's why it hurt so much. I think. Yeah, Connor and I have this this theory that it's cosmic. K State will go into KU week ranked in the top fifteen or top twenty. We will win against KU. Everyone will start saying, "Hey, these te- these guys look really good," and then we will just find the most painful way to lose the next game, still somehow be ranked, lose that next game, be unranked, and then start playing better. We play worse when we're ranked. I will stand by this statement. I think that's totally fair because we beat, oh, yes, we won on a three-game win streak. We beat TCU, OU, and KU. And we ended up ranked, and we were ranked for the KU game, but we were like in the 20s. But then we made it to the teens for Texas, and we were ranked there. And we lost in a heartbreaking fashion. Then we were ranked again against West Virginia. And we lost in a heartbreaking fashion. And then we fell out of the polls and beat Texas Tech and Iowa State. And then we were ranked again for Navy, I think. And then we lost that game, too. So Yeah, we lost, that was our bowl game against Navy. Yes. Right, 23. The, the worst bowl game ever, the Liberty Bowl. Not that specific game, just that whole game in general. And the concept Connor of hates the Liberty Bowl. <laughs> I, I think it's justified. I think it sucks. The stadium's bad. It's new. Oh, that's neither here nor there. But yeah. So back back to Stanford. We went over at K State's outlook last year. 
Stanford last year was in the Pac-12, so they had a very, very much shortened season by COVID because most of the Pac-12 didn't play for half the season. But when they played, they went 4-2. and two. They were averaging 30 points a game, but here's where I sort of started raising an eyebrow, and that's when I looked at their passing numbers. Uh, per their own website, which you go gostanford.com, they had seven passing touchdowns and were averaging 7.77 yards per attempt. And this was with, I believe, Davis Mills as their quarterback, who was their senior quarterback that had done pretty well throughout his entire career, unless he opted out, in which case, please yell at me by sending an email uh, at aggievillealleycats at gmail.com. I will read all of them. I'm pretty sure that um, you played. Yeah. So that that's a big red flag to me, because Davis Mills isn't there. And according to a bunch of the websites covering uh, Stanford at their spring game, they have a quarterback controversy. They have a massive quarterback controversy between Jack West and Tanner McKee. Jack West being a senior and Tanner McKee being a sophomore. Apparently McKee outplayed Jack West, or it was vice versa. One of them was supposed to be the clear-cut starter going into this next year, and the other one outplayed the other in the spring game. Now, I don't want to put too much credence on a spring game, especially because it's your own players going against your own players, but that's worth noting, that there are people, at least for this rumor to start circulating, there are people in the media and perhaps the coaching staff that are wondering which quarterback they're going to use. And that means that neither is pulling away, which means that neither is playing exceptionally, which I think bodes very well for K-State, especially given that they weren't a very good passing offense last year. Yeah, I totally agree with, with that. I think that K-State is in a decent position to win this game because, well, for one, this is going to be, this is a whole can of worms that I'm, I'm just going to touch on it a little bit. The game kicks off at 11 a.m., and... Ace, you know how much of a controversy that ended up being. But that's yes. going to be 9 a.m. Uh, um, body time for Stanford because they're West Coast, they're West time zone, Pacific time zone. And so that's going to feel like they're kicking off at 9 a.m., which is going to be super rough for them. At least you would think. Today, David Shaw, he uh, had an interview where he went on a tangent about it. And I think that it's kind of justified, although it is a Pac-12 and they probably should be used to it at this point. Yeah, at this point, yeah. it's real Pac-12 hours. That yeah. meme exists for a reason. Yeah, like, they... The, this ultimately, like, it's still a game to worry about because it's a Power 5 opponent. But as we'll get into, and we talked about this a little bit already uh, before that we started this show, they, Stanford and K-State, this may be the easiest non-conference game that K-State ends up having. And that's not meant to be ironic because the other two games are Southern Illinois and Nevada. Stanford may be the easiest opponent that we play. And that scares me. That, that scares me. That's, that should scare you, because it means that K-State scheduled two other teams that they didn't think were going to be as good, because they were going to have one big game. But the team that was supposed to be good is less good, but still decent. And the two teams that are supposed to be bad are actually pretty good. Yeah. Allegedly. Oh, and I did, I did confirm that Davis Mills was starting last year. Excellent. So, yeah, they have that quarterback issue coming into this year and I think they may have lost some offensive line starters but other than that I do think they bring back a decent amount of people but it's from a not incredible explosive offense 
Like, it's an offense that's meant for Christian McCaffrey or Bryce Love, and they don't really have one of those right now, at least from what I can tell. I may be totally off base there. But no, they are returning their leading rusher. That is running back Austin Jones. But outside of him, they are very much unimpressive uh, because their leading receiver is Simi Fahoku, which, God help me, that name. Uh, their leading receiver last year, I should say, is Simi Fahoku. And let me see if he's still on the roster. He is not. So the biggest returning threat for them receiving-wise would be Bryson Tremaine, who only had 265 yards, which was half of what their leading receiver last year had. So unless their running game is going to be very good, which I'm not going to at all sleep on Austin Jones because he's a Stanford running back and they have a tendency to be late bloomers, but I'm more worried about their running game than their passing game, which for K-State, that's honestly a sigh of relief. <laughs> Yeah, I, I tend to agree with that. I think this is going to be a decent uh, run defense squad. So I'm, I'm looking forward to this matchup a lot more than I was when we first scheduled it. And also more than when I found out that it was moving from Manhattan to Arlington, which that's kind of outside the scope of what we're talking about, but we could talk about that for hours if we needed to, just the whole controversy yeah. moving it. And yeah, that's, that's just the first game. And also, just the a note on Stanford's schedule. I have no idea why they did this, but their entire schedule, I don't know if you noticed this, their entire schedule for the entire year is all Power 5 schools. Oh, really? Yeah, they don't play a single group of five or like, FCS squad for the entire year. Their non-conference games are K-State, Vanderbilt, which is technically Power 5, and Notre Dame, yeah, which is yeah, 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 very yeah. much Power 5. <laughs> Yeah, and then they play the Pac-12 schedule. So they have one of the hardest schedules in the country. I do not envy them at all. So this is going to be a team that is just absolutely downtrodden by the end because it's just going to be... There's no breaks. No. So what do you think the, uh, the outlook is? I think that given the way that their passing offense didn't click last year and something that we didn't talk about is the defensive backs room at K-State, which... I, I, it's a ridiculously good defensive backs room, especially with transfer from Louisville, Russ Yeast coming in. And a corner, cornerback from Iowa, uh, Julius Brents. He may be the best of the bunch, and he also may not be at K-State very long. There's a pretty good chance he declares for the NFL draft after this year. Oh, we didn't talk about the um, the Stubblefield debacle. We'll leave that for miscellaneous at the very end, the yeah, funniest story. Yeah, that, that'll week. be fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I think that given our defensive backs will be good and this again comes down to will the 335 and our adjustments to it be able to stop the run i think that'll be the biggest part of this game because i think our offense will be fine i i don't think this is a game where our offense will be truly stressed because not to destroy the pac-12 but they're more used to spread offenses because you have schools such as oregon which very much popularized things like the spread option I'm not sure that they have the 100% ability to stop Deuce Vaughn and a, a offensive line that has the personnel we do. Yeah, I'm not totally sold on Sanford 
being a great team. I think they're going to be a below-average team this year. Vegas has their over-under on wins at 3.5. And honestly, based on their schedule, it may be prudent to take the under because even if they are like a solid team that with a normal schedule might go like 5-7 and seven or 6-6, six and six, there's a very good chance that they only win three games this year just because of how hard that schedule is, unless they really just come out of nowhere. Yeah. So I'm absolutely. Do you have those score so predictions? You and I are both taking the cats here. I'm taking the cats. Do, oh, do I have a score prediction? Yes. Yes, score prediction. Uh, I didn't. I didn't think that far ahead, but let's go 35-14. That's around where I was thinking. I was. I was thinking around like 31 to like 20 or something like that. Like I think that this will be a comfortable win for K State, but I don't think it'll be a blowout. Just week one jitters, like playing in a big stadium. Like, and it's, it's not a slouch opponent or anything, so. No. We, we don't want to make it sound like Stanford is like, oh, this was an easy dub. Because I don't, I don't look at, I don't look at K-State's schedule unless I'm looking at KU. And I don't see a single school that's like, oh, that's easy. Yeah. Because, not, not only because I know K-State and their tendencies to lose in the most painful way possible, but because I don't think we scheduled a horrible team this year, which leads us to our one FCS game we have this year, which is the South Illinois, Southern Illinois Salukis, which <laughs> I love the name Saluki. I'll give you that. <laughs> that's, that a, that's a that very like a wild name. dog or something. I think it's a breed of dog, yeah. Oh, okay. But, yeah. So, Sorry, go ahead. The Saluki football team is an FCS school, which is still Division One, but one division below FBS, which is what K-State and all the Power Five and Group of Five conferences are. FCS is by no means a group of people that are you just automatically walk in and steamroll, because it's still Division One football, but FBS teams are still expected to beat them. That being said, you occasionally get FCS teams that are scary. For the past few years, it's been North Dakota State. North Dakota State has been one of the scariest teams in FCS. And fun fact, that is where current Kansas State head coach Chris Kleiman coached for, what was it, three or four years? It was, it was somewhere around there. It might have been more, actually. I think it might have been closer yeah, to five. Yeah, oh, where, where, where Chris Kleiman ended up winning multiple national championships, which is why I was really excited to hire him, because you don't win multiple national championships at any level on accident. That being said, Southern Illinois murdered North Dakota State this last year by the score of thirty-eight to fourteen. It was. It was if bad. that doesn't, if that doesn't scare you, as someone looking in, I don't know what will. But their overall record was, excuse me, six and four, including wins against North Dakota State, UNI, and. Weber State and SLU, all of which were ranked in the top 15 at minimum for FCS competition. Their only bad losses were against South Dakota State, twice. Yeah, and South Dakota State was a great team. They were ranked number 6 yeah. when they beat them the regular season, and they were ranked 2nd uh, in the FCS playoffs when they lost to them there. Yeah, and it was... So Southern Illinois is not I'm honestly more scared of Southern Illinois than I am of Stanford. 
and that is because I know how K-State tends to act around them. And this is something that I've brought up before. Coach, Klein, Coach Kleiman's coaching style allows him to uniquely be equipped for bigger games like Oklahoma, but makes it slightly harder for him to coach lower level games because he says treat every opponent as the same which is a great coaching philosophy 100% I agree with that coaching philosophy but there are times that it makes it easier to overlook and get sloppy on some lower level competition which is exactly what happened alongside injuries against Arkansas State in the 2020 season that being said it is a home game and I do believe that K-State can pick up a win here. Yeah, I I think that this is ultimately going to be, knock on wood, a victory for K-State. But I do think that it's going to be an uncomfortable win. Like It's going to be one of those games where K-State may score a touchdown to field goal, and then they score a really fast touchdown to just basically negate what K-State just did. I think ultimately yeah. we'll probably pull away and win by maybe a couple touchdowns to three touchdowns. But I think that it's going to be much more difficult than an SCS game normally would be. And honestly, this is a this is a sleeper game. This is the sort of game where a lower-ranked opponent may come in fired up to play a big-time school, especially uh, riding a, a pretty successful season where they beat perennial power in North Dakota State and then just come into Manhattan and just upset K-State because, I mean, it's the perfect opportunity for K-State to blow what would be an easy game, especially if they uh, if they beat Stanford and they might just get lackadaisical. And also, if they somehow lose to Stanford and they lose to Southern Illinois, all of a sudden we're looking at a season where K-State may win, like, two or three games. So the Southern yeah. Illinois game, I think we talked about this a little bit earlier. It was either Southern Illinois or the next game, Nevada, where we said it may be the most important game on the schedule. I said Nevada. That was Nevada. Because Southern Illinois is a trap game, I guess is what I'll say. But Because if we don't come out ready, that could be a really easy game to just lose. But ultimately, it should. it's a game that K-State should win, is how I'll describe yeah. it. And... Something I will say, especially after we get done talking about the... So we're both predicting a, a Cats win, but uncomfortable against Southern Illinois? Correct. Okay. Which leads us nicely, I suppose, we'll use that word, into the game on the schedule that genuinely scares me the most. And I'm including conference games. And that is a home game against the Nevada Wolfpack. Now, why is the Nevada Wolfpack so terrifying? Because, among other things, they're passing offense. And this passing offense is led by junior quarterback Carson Strong from Vacaville, California. From this last year, Carson Strong put together a monster season in terms of passing. Well, monster by Mountain West standards, which, by the way, the Nevada Wolfpack ended up going 7-2, and 6-2 and two in conference. So they played, they put together a very, very good football team. And it was led by Carson Strong. Through nine games, he threw for nearly 3,000 yards, 27 touchdowns, and only four interceptions. Yeah, he was averaging over 300 yards a game, which is just yes. nuts. He averaged 317.6 yards a game, which is monstrous. Absolutely ridiculous. 
alongside this, he's on the Maxwell Award preseason watch list. He's the Davey O'Brien quarterback class of 2020. And if you look at betting lines, he is actually the favorite to have more passing touchdowns and passing yards than DJ Ugalele out of Clemson, a former five-star recruit who had time to study under Trevor Lawrence. And I know it doesn't quite work the same way as in the NFL with understudies, but you have a Mountain West quarterback who is the favorite to outthrow one of the most perennially powerhouse programs in the country with a five-star recruit. That terrifies me, especially with how K-State has struggled over the middle in these past few years. And if you want to talk while I look up the receiving leaders from this last year, I will tell you if they got their leading receivers back. Yeah, so Nevada, I, I think they used pretty much encapsulated what I would normally say, is that they are just an absolutely terrifying opponent to go against because I mean, because of exactly what you said, Carson Strong is horrifying for me to look at. If K-State can't figure out its coverage in the middle of the field, this might be a game that K-State actually loses. And it's a non-conference home game against a group of five school. That's a game that K-State should win 99 times out of 100. We may be looking at the one time. And it's not yeah. just their passing right. attack. They're returning, I think, their leading rusher, uh, Toa yeah. Tawa, which is they an are. awesome name. And he had a, yeah. um, 675 yards and four touchdowns, which is more than Deuce Vaughn. And he also had a 214 receiving yards and a touchdown. So that it's just an explosive offense that we're going to end up looking at for an this explosive game. offense that is returning all three of their top receivers. One of which is a tight end, the other is a slot receiver. Yeah, so this is not a game that I would be looking forward to if I'm K State. I'm definitely not looking forward to it as a fan. Nope. Yeah, this is. Like you said, I think this this might be the most important game on the schedule. Because if we can come out of the non-conference undefeated, that will be just absolutely massive. Because these yeah. are three not easy games in a row. And normally, you're going to have at least one easy game on the schedule. Like, you know, like, even back in 2019, we had two easy games. We had Nickel State and Bowling Green. We won those 49-14 and 52-0. And this yeah. year, there's not a cakewalk there. Like, we may not be playing an all-Power 5 schedule like Stanford, but we don't have a single game to take off other than maybe KU, and that's assuming that they're as bad this year as they were last year, which is entirely possible, Fair. honestly. Yeah. It may even be worse, but ultimately, K-State, if they can, if they can come out of non-conference 3-0, I will be very optimistic about this season because that's a massive start. However... Once they get on the non-conference play, they get the ultimate Big 12 starting game, the, the K-State Classic at Oklahoma State. Pause, pause, pause. We got to – so just to, just to wrap up non-conference games, I call me, call me negative for all you want and make fun of me for saying K-State's going to go undefeated this year. I think we lose the Nevada game. Straight up, I think we lose in a painful way. And that is because, I hate to keep harping on it, but our middle field coverage. I believe in our outside. I believe in our outside more than I think just about anyone else, maybe other than Connor. I believe in corners like Echo Boido, Justin Gardner, Russ Yeast, even though he might be playing a little bit of safety this next year. 
I believe in Julius our defensive Prince. backfield. <clears throat> Julius Brents as well. Yeah, I believe in our defensive backfield. I don't believe in our middle field unit, which will be our linebackers and maybe a free safety if we're playing single high. I think, and I think that's what's going to hurt us. I think Nevada, what you have to do is, I think you have to run three-man rush, honestly. Like, yeah. I, I don't think there's much of an option other than that, especially if we can make it to the quarterback, which I think that we can. I think we're going to have a pretty good pass rush. Like, I think going three-man rush, maybe four, with Khalid Duke. But even dropping Khalid Duke back into coverage, that we may have to do that because I'm not sold on Daniel Green's pass coverage abilities. Wayne Jones will be solid, but... Ultimately, as many people as we can have out in the field covering a receiver as possible. We need to be doing that for this game. I think that this we might be a time. I think we win this game by a field goal. I think it'll be like 34-31 or like 41-38. It'll be a high-scoring game. Well, it'll have to be high-scoring if we want to win it. Yeah, and I think the the part that scares me most is what I predict is happening is us getting torched in the first half because we keep running a three-three-five. And then we more or less have to adjust to a 3-2-6, which three down linemen, two linebackers, and six defensive backs. Because there's another person that we haven't talked about that's returning, which is Jerron McPherson. Right. So that defensive backfield is loaded. And honestly, I'm surprised we don't base 3-2-6, unless they're going to have Jerron McPherson play moneybacker, which is basically just... But they're treated like defensive backs, but their play where linebackers are. That's pretty much Wayne Jones, I think. Like, yeah, like, so... Continue. It, it's, it's scary. The Nevada game is the game that scares me most on the schedule, because if we lose the Nevada game, I, I see a world where even if we win the first two games, the wheels fall off the season. And I think there is a decent possibility that we come out of non-conference games 1-2 and two or 0-3. Oh there is a real possibility of that. And that is something that scares me. Because we don't have an easy non-con game. And it's very easy to buy in when you're winning. It's not easy to buy in when you're losing. And that is what I feel the biggest problem was with the Iowa State game. Because there was a tragic bit of news that had come out that same week, and it looked like a lot of the players didn't want to be there. It's They look like they were lost. They didn't want to be there, and they weren't playing with heart. And that, I, I, as much as I don't like the last chance you coach from season three, Jason Brown, he is right in saying that if you get kids to buy in, you can take a one star and have him compete with five stars. If you get him to believe in what you are saying. And it's hard to do that when you're losing. Yep. Retweet. But... Yeah, I do agree with you about the uh, the record possibilities. I still think that K-State finds a way and comes out of non-conference 3-0 because cause a part of me wants to believe that we're just overanalyzing some of these games. And Yeah, I want to believe that too. So I'm trying to be optimistic just for my own sanity. But I do agree with you that there's a world where K-State goes 1-2 and or 0-3 and, and the wheels fall off and everything is bad. And... I, I don't want to believe that, but we have to entertain the, the scenario in which that happens, which is more likely than most years. Yeah. But now, can we talk about conference now, play? We begin conference play, which is where 
A lot of people say that non-cons don't matter. I disagree, if not just for morale. But we begin conference play, as Connor said, with the time-honored tradition of going to Stillwater, Oklahoma, against the Oklahoma State Cowboys. The K-State Classic. Start Big 12 play in Oklahoma State. Always on the road. This is never an easy game. Since since the 90s, since like 96, I think we've beaten Oklahoma State like twice on the road in Stillwater. And we've played them like 12 or 13 times or something like that. It's... Yep. uh, I I hate starting on the road against them because it's always tough. Because they're never bad. And, And even if they are bad... They're still tough. Like, they're still a tough team to beat. Any Mike Gundy coach team, I don't want to play, basically. Yeah. Um, unless we're they just absolutely dominating and we get them at home. Yeah, they went 8-3 and three last year with a 6-3 and three conference record, including a win over K-State. We should have beat them, though. We should have beat them. We should have. We did not, but we should have. We did not. We failed to beat them. We did not lose. We simply failed to win. Um... I agree with that, honestly. That's that's how that game felt. We failed to win as opposed to actually losing. Losing? <laughs> yeah. yeah we, we snatched defeat from the jaws of victory. That's that's the classic saying, I think, for that. That's how it goes. Anyway, so Oklahoma State on offense is returning Desmond Jackson and their starting quarterback. Their running back, I apologize. Their running back, Desmond Jackson, and their quarterback, starting quarterback last year, Spencer Sanders. Spencer Sanders had an okay season last year. He went 14 touchdowns, 8 interceptions with uh, 2,007 yards. But on defense, which Big 12 teams that can play defense scare me, and Oklahoma State is one of the better defensive Big 12 teams, which if you're an SEC fan, you're going to come into this podcast. If you've been listening for like two hours now, I applaud you. But We're at an hour and a half right now out an hour and a half if you've been listening for the last hour and a half and you're an sec fan i very much applaud you and respect you for how far you've made it yeah good for you but (laughs) (laughs) oklahoma state is one of the better defensive big 12 teams and i feel like k-state has run into the brick wall for them at least that is the oklahoma state defense and this is especially important when noting that they've returned i believe they've returned their leading tackler from last year, Malcolm Rodriguez, who's a linebacker, as well as a decent amount of their their defensive backfield, which includes their leading interceptions, uh, their interceptions leader, Trey Sterling, who's a safety. So they've returned a lot of pieces on their defense that scare me, and of course they're going to be an Oklahoma State team, so they're going to run the ball pretty well, which thankfully I think this year will be a pretty decent strength of K-State. I don't think it'll be a weakness, at least. Which sometimes is all you need. Yeah. Especially when you're going against, like, average teams, which Oklahoma State, I feel like, is generally that, like, slightly above average range. Although last year, for a while, it seemed like they were going to, like, compete for the uh, playoff. The title, yeah. Yeah, but literally all three of their offensive stars that were supposed to just have incredible seasons all had okay seasons. Yeah, Chuba Hubbard. Yeah, Chuba Hubbard, Spencer Sanders, uh, Tylen Wallace. Like, those were all guys that were supposed to break out, and none of them really just just didn't really. They just had okay years. And none of those guys are bad, other than Spencer Sanders. And a weakness that I can very much see on their their offensive line is the hole left by Tevin Jenkins. 
yep. who was the right tackle that got drafted this last year. I, I, uh, I was, love that potential matchup. Yeah, he's I he was called the most violent man in college football. And there exists a very famous clip of him taking out two people with one block because he literally picked up the other person and threw him into the other guy. Uh, it made for a very clean pass blocking rep for him. But he's gone. So at right side of the offensive line is looking a, a, a bit weaker. At least I hope they don't have someone immediately behind Tevin Jenkins who is better or equal to Tevin Jenkins. At that point, I'm scared. But I don't think they do. So... <laughs> Yeah, I think that whatever happens that game, we should put our best edge rusher right on right tackle for the entire game, depending on how that person ends up performing. And I feel like that's probably going to end up being, at least on the defensive line, Boom Massey. I think yeah. that, I don't think that's like a weird thing to say. I think he'll probably end up being the best guy. Um, I'm looking at the roster. It might actually end up being Felix Sanadike. He apparently has been outstanding in the offseason and is an athletic freak, and apparently staff thinks that he's going to be in the NFL. So, he's only a sophomore, I so like that. Yeah, we, will, we will see. But it's either going to be uh, Felix Sanadike or Boone Massey, since I think Khalid Duke is going to move to that hybrid linebacker role in the 3 3 5. Okay. So, I think that this is going to be a game where Skylar Thompson is going to have a big day. I don't think Skylar Thompson's big day will be, and I'm talking big day as in 250-plus passing yards, maybe a touchdown or two to go with it. However, I don't see us being at the point where we are in winning our first game, coming off of non-conference play, even if we're 3-0, I don't see us going into Stillwater for our first conference game and winning. Yeah. I think it'll be a painful game. It will be very close. I don't think it'll be a blowout. There's only one game on here that I could see being a blowout against K-State, and unfortunately, that's our last game of the season. But, nevertheless, I, I don't see us going to Stillwater and, and winning this game. I think we make it competitive, but I think we end up falling short just at the very end. Yeah, I, I'd i say I, I fall somewhat in that boat. I, I don't think that we'll be ready um, by this point. And it's because we always we just get screwed over in this, in this Big 12 scheduling. They must have something against us. That's the only explanation. But yeah. Oklahoma, starting in Oklahoma State, just I hate that so much. If we can pull out a win here, that'd be absolutely massive. Especially if we can go through the non-con, because then we're 4-0 going to the OU game, which that's a game that might make its way into game day. If we're undefeated in OU, I'm assuming they'll be undefeated. But, yep. but Oklahoma State, I see us probably losing by a touchdown, maybe 10 points, probably somewhere in like 27-17, to 30-20 range. Like, I, I think it'll be around there. But and I think it'll be close for the first half, and they'll kind of pull away as the second half goes along. Yeah. So, moving on from one Oklahoma team to the other Oklahoma team, we have the Oklahoma Sooners, which will be a home game at Bill Snyder Family Stadium in Manhattan, Kansas. And this one, I have similar concerns to the Nevada game. They're returning both their top receiver, Marvin Mims, who had a 
ridiculous freshman season. I love Especially him. with Cinema Cat. I, I, yeah, I, I, he's one of my favorite non-K-State players, I think, in college football right I now. Just wish he did, I just wish he didn't play against K-State. Yeah, I, I wish he was on, like, I don't know, like, Oregon State or something like that. Yeah. Just somewhere, like, Anywhere really far else. away from us that we don't have to worry about. Because I love watching him play, but I don't want to watch him potentially face us and do well. Yeah. And among... And that also comes with his battery mate and former five-star recruit quarterback Spencer Rattler, who we've mentioned before. Statistically, Spencer Rattler had a very, very good year this last year. 28 touchdowns to seven interceptions. Weren't three of those in the K-State game? Uh, interceptions? Yeah, I think so. Because you have one to Justin Gardner, one to Elijah Sullivan, maybe another to Elijah Sullivan. Now I'm thinking about No, one of them was Jerome McPherson. All right, so basically we have Spencer Rattler's number and we're blowing him out. Anyway. Allegedly. Uh, I'm bringing a sign that says, I ain't afraid of no Rattler. And I, I, I don't care. <laughs> no Rattlers if scare me. No Rattlers scare me. Um, so Oklahoma is, they went 9-2 and two this last year, and I believe they ended up winning the Big 12. Am I right in saying that? Yes, they did. Okay. So they're very much a team that is scary and will always be scary. And I think they're very angry at the fact that they've lost to K-State for two years in a row. I would be. <laughs> I would be very angry. We had no business beating them the last two times we played them, and nevertheless, Chris Kleiman just did it anyways. In conclusion, Chris Kleiman does not lose to Oklahoma. He just has he just has the, uh, the big game gene. Like, I don't know what it is about him, but he... He just beats really good teams. Like, at least he did his first year, and even part of his second year. And this is going to be my first major surprise of this year. Because I don't fear anyone on Oklahoma's defense. I don't. They have not proven to me that they need, that they have anyone on that defense that is overly scary. Yeah, I, and, I, I 100% agree with that. Sorry, continue, though. I watched them get absolutely murdered by Deuce Vaughn, who was a true freshman. That was his breakout and I think game, that too. Deuce, yep, and I think Deuce Vaughn can very easily do it again. And I am very confident in this game that while it'll be a track meet, I think that K-State's defense is better than Oklahoma's defense. And I think that when it comes to a track meet, I think K-State could probably keep up for a little while. The problem will be in making sure that it stays a track meet. This is the opposite of what every K-State team for the past however many years has wanted to do. They never want track meets. They never want you score, I score, whoever blinks first loses. That is what this game is going to have to be. And I think this is where Skylar Thompson... I think Skylar Thompson will generate noise because I think he will play very, very well in his first four games. I don't think he'll have a single poor performance. I think things around him will sort of fall apart, but I feel like he himself will play well. This is where I think that he could make noise. Not necessarily NFL noise, but noise about being that top 20 or top 15 quarterback in college football. This is Skylar Thompson's coming out game, and I have Kansas State University beating Oklahoma for the third straight year. Because, in conclusion, 
Chris Kleiman does not lose to Oklahoma. He never has, and he never will. Never. Period. That's it. That's the tweet. <laughs> I, I totally, honestly, I do agree with you. This is going to be my hot take for the year as well. No matter how good or bad the season's going, I, I foresee, I sense a dub in this game. I, until OU proves that they can come into a Chris Kleiman v. Lincoln Riley game and be victorious, I'm just going to assume that they can't do it because yeah. Chris Kleiman has taken an, a team that is markedly worse than Lincoln Riley's team both times. In every and, way. <laughs> and, every yeah, way. and almost in basically every single way. And Except for special teams. With the exception of special teams. That's a, that's an important caveat. Um, but K-State's won those games. K-State has come out and proven that they can get hyped up and prepared for the big games. And last year, that was their whole thing. They were like, we're getting revenge for the K-State game last year. We shouldn't have lost that game. Well, they did it anyways. They're going to say the same thing this year. Same result on the way to book it. October 2nd, Saturday, in the year of our Lord, 2021, K-State will win like 45-38 or something like that. It'll be a high-scoring game. First of 40 wins, probably. I think, honestly, we'll break into the hundreds. I think that's how this game will go. You're talking for each person, for each team, or combined? Combined, no. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> combined. So, so you think, like, maybe first of 50? Like, 52-49 or something like that? I think first 50. I think it's first of 50. 52-49? I can, I can buy that. Yeah, I'll, I'll take that bet. I'm foreseeing Skylar Thompson having yet another performance like he did in 2019 where he has, like, 17 rushing yards and, like, five rushing touchdowns with just yep. some absolutely absurd stat line gore. Give looks... me the speed option, Messingham. Messingham better break out at least 10 jet sweeps for this game or I'm renouncing my <laughs> fanship. Because I, 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 at this point, K-State versus OU is like an event. You have to be there. No matter how good or bad K-State's doing, and no matter where OU's at in the playoff rankings, you have to be there. Like, I don't care who OU has. I don't care about no Spencer Rattler. Like, K-State is going to come into this game. Rattler's probably going to get, like, 390 or 400 yards. And it doesn't matter, because Skylar Thompson will just mosey on along, get, like, 200 passing yards, like, one touchdown, and still score 52 points. Yep. So... And that's, I'm glad that we agree, because I remember, I, I'm sure you remember this as well, Oklahoma was our homecoming game. It was. We beat them at home. And I remember going with my RA, my resident assistant, from my dorm, and we both looked at each other, we're going to get murdered this game. And then the first half happened, and we're just like, wait a minute, we're not dying. What happened here? The first, like, then, yeah, the first quarter felt like we were going to get destroyed, because they went up, like, 10-0 in, like, five minutes. It was bad was terrible we were down atrocious and then we still win and then we're like eh, we can beat oklahoma and then we did <laughs> that third quarter was one of the most fun quarters that we've had since i've been at k-state k-state versus ou in the third quarter might be the most efficient team in college football history like if we could if we could harness that energy for every quarter of every game we'd be in the natty i'm just saying <laughs> that's like not even an ironic statement like, here, let's look. K-State versus... K-State outscored OU 17-0 in 2019 in the third quarter. And 2020, K-State... It was actually 14-14. We outscored them 17-0 in the fourth quarter. So I'll say K-State 
in the second half against OG. It is the most efficient team in college football history, which I'm not accepting arguments on that fact, so don't bother. Do, n do not email me. Do not send me facts, because that will cause me to reconsider my position, and I don't want to, so. U.S. politics. Anyway. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so we both agree that Oklahoma is, is going to be a win. That's a dub. So, okay. I think... I think you and I have, we, we agree that they're going to be three and one at this point because we don't we don't think the Oklahoma State game will be a win, mm -hmm. four and one I should say. So this makes, I think, the most interesting conference game, which is Iowa State, or as people lovingly refer to it in the rivalry, Armageddon. Armageddon. Or wheat or over corn. Wheat over corn, exactly. It's also Harley Day. Oh, it is. Yeah, it is. Oh, the more you know. More um, you know. Iowa State went nine and three last year with an eight and one conference record. And wait, are we playing them in October? Yes. Oh, great. We have to listen to the. Oh God. Uh, so I suppose that requires context. The Iowa State quarterback by the name of Brock Purdy. Iowa State fans have been. I would argue one of the most obnoxious groups of fan bases, not because of Brock Purdy themselves, and not all year, but because they coined the term Brocktober, and I'm tired of hearing it. And I really want them to destroy Brock Purdy and the Iowa State Cyclones at home at Kansas State University, and I think they're going to do it. I think it's going to be a close game. I think it's going to be the exact opposite of the Oklahoma game. I think Oklahoma is going to be a track meet. I think Iowa State is going to be a a dirty, like, a muddy game. I Even agree. though, it's like, the, the mud, the, there can't be mud, because Bill Snyder Family Stadium is a turf field. But I feel like if you squint hard enough, you'll be able to just see that this is, like, a 1990s knockout, drag-down mud game. Yep. I 100% I agree with that. I think this will be the type of game where K-State, if they can, if their defense peaks around this time, I think they win. Because I think the potential of K-State's defense is way higher than the offense, although I think the offense's floor is higher than the defense's, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I think yeah. that the defense can just harass Brock Purdy in this game, which I think they'll be capable of. I think that this could potentially be a victory for K-State. However, I will say this is probably, honestly, the hardest home game that K-State's going to have. So I will agree. They could very realistically lose this game, I don't remember the last time K-State lost to Iowa State at home, honestly. Because yeah. up until 2018, we'd won like 12 games in a row against them or something like that. Yep. And so, I don't know. I I foresee a K-State victory here. That may, mean, may just be me being a homer. I don't really know. But I, I think K-State can win this game. Yeah, and it, it is worth noting that Iowa State will be returning their two best defensive players, and that is, hang on, let me, I forgot it. Is Mike, Mike Rose, Rose Yeah. Mike Rose is back, as well as Will McDonald, who led the team in sacks with ten and a half. Mike Rose was their leading tackler, as well as their leading interception getter with five. He was the defensive player of the year, I think, too, in the Big 12. Yeah, which makes sense. My, so returning the... My predictions on the Iowa State game entirely bank on last year being a fluke for Iowa State. Yeah. Which I kind of I kind of think it was. Maybe that's just because I don't like them. But I guess we'll <laughs> see this year. I, I might end up like eating my words here, but I I don't know. I think the K State 
had a bad year and were destined to, I think Iowa State benefited from having a ton of experience coming back. And this year, the, yeah. the it's going to be a more level playing field, considering that there's not going to be any, like, world-ending scenarios happening around the game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But honest, They're also returning Brees Hall. Oh, who's that? Which, uh, yeah, <laughs> who knows? That's, that's their, that's like their, 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 like, defensive tackle or something. Oh, that's like that. I, Iowa State fans molding right now. Brees yeah. Hall is their running back who was arguably one of the best running backs of the Big 12 this last year. He had 21 touchdowns. A legend. 1,631 yards. <laughs> so he... He was he was a good he was a serviceable running back this last year. However, PFF but, has correctly determined him to be the worst <laughs> running back in the entire conference. So if you listen to Iowa State fans, but so we we both we both think Iowa State's a dub. Ah, uh, yeah, I think so. So I we're both at five and one. I don't think we need to spend that much time on the Texas Tech game. I think we should win that game, and if the season's going poorly at this point, then maybe we can entertain this being a loss, but I just don't see this Texas Tech team being that good. Like, they're not going to be good, and they honestly are in danger of being beaten by Kansas next year, and that Which spells... terrifying yes. for them. I, that, next... Their goal right now is A, get a recruit to commit in 2022, and B, don't lose to KU. Which, that's a horrible state to be in. Like, Texas Tech that's is looking at a very bad year upcoming. I wouldn't be surprised if they win, like, three games. Like, I haven't looked at their non-conference yet. Let me check that out. They went 4-6 and six this last year with 3-6 and six in conference. And, and we beat them. We were not particularly great. Right, they have, they have no. Houston. And I think, honestly, I think they lose to Houston. Because Houston, I think, will be pretty solid. Uh, Stephen F. Austin, they should be able to beat Florida International. I bet they beat. But they're probably going to lose to uh, Texas, West Virginia. And also some emergency vehicles are about to pass my house. Oh, boy. <laughs> and, okay, they don't. I think they'll lose to Texas, West Virginia, TCU, uh, K-State, OU. I think they might be able to... Um, I think they, Actually, they might be able to beat TCU at home. Um, then Iowa State, OSU, Baylor... They might be able to beat Baylor, but I don't know, KU, especially since it's on the road, I get that they don't have much of a home environment, but man, Texas Tech, yeah. they are kind of a down bad organization at the moment, and yeah. if they lose to KU, I think that's it for Matt Wells down there. He might be the worst coach in the conference right now, other than Lance uh, Leipold, who is simply unproven. Yeah, with, who's the new Kansas head coach after they fired Les Miles. Yeah, so Texas Tech, yeah, simply put, that should be a victory for K-State. I don't think it'll be too close. It shouldn't be. If it is, I still think we win. Yeah, for what it's worth, they are returning two quarterbacks that both played last year and played in eight and six games, respectively. That's Alan Bowman and Henry Columbi. They're returning the guy that I that always kills me whenever I update rosters in NCAA 14, Sir Roderick Thompson, the running back. Oh, yeah. And they are returning their top receiver in Eric Nzukanma. Nzukanma, whatever, however that's supposed to be pronounced. That's about right, I think. Um, for what it's worth, they are returning pieces on offense, but there is no one on their defense that I'm particularly scared of, even if they are returning. Yeah. Uh, that defense, Texas Tech has historically not had a great defense. They're better than they used to be, I'll admit, but that's because they were historically bad for quite a while on defense. And now they're 
serviceable, I guess, but they're not great. Like there's no, yeah. there's nothing to write home about on that defense, and and also their quarterback room is going to be kind of crowded because they're going to have Bowman back, Columbia back, and then they're also bringing in Oregon transfer Tyler Chow, who I think they are, mm. and he started last year for Oregon, so. I doubt he would transfer away from Oregon if he thought he was going to sit on the bench as a grad transfer. Yeah. But, I don't know, we'll see. But, yeah. Yeah, we're predicting dubs against Texas Tech. Yep. Right. And the next game is one that TCU is always a toss-up for me. Because these last two years we've played them, but it's been relatively close. And yep. they are returning starting quarterback Max Duggan, who didn't have a terrible year last year, from what I remember. Yeah, he wasn't awful. And he's he's still young. He's kind of like Skylar Thompson, but earlier in his career, is how I look yeah. at him. He's very similar, I would actually say. Where he's he's just not incredible, but there's nothing bad about him, I would say. Like, he's not a bad QB at all. He's a solid game manager. And the ring back of Zach Evans, who was a five-star recruit at running back. And... Yeah. And he didn't do a lot last year, but so I think he's set to break out this year. If Zach Evans can really get going this year, then TCU, they they might be a tough challenge, but TCU, you never know what you're going to get with the Gary Patterson TCU squad since 2014. They've been so up and down. I, I still see this as a win. I think it will be about a touchdown. That's how the last few games have gone for K-State against TCU. They've been touchdown victories. And yeah. so I think we win 31-24 as my prediction. Something very important to note, at least for me, is I think this will be a good game for our for our receiving core, which I will not say about many other games. And that's because there's one person in particular who left this last year that I feel was a massive part of their defense, and that is safety Trayvon Mary. He's no longer there. He gave us headaches whenever... Even though the two years that I saw him play against us, we won, I could always tell that Trayvon Merritt was in the back of our minds whenever we were calling plays. And since he's not there, I don't think they have another person who can step up and be Trayvon Merritt. I don't. Because Trayvon Merritt was a legitimate first-round talent. And I think that we'll find a way to abuse that, even if they sit in cover four, which means... The uninformed, it basically just means everyone sit back as far as you can. And don't and give up the big play. You don't get beat. Yeah, don't give up the big play. That's what it is. That was K-State's defense for a very long time under Bill Snyder. Yeah. And I think even if they do that, we'll find a way to to make the big play. And it again, it all comes down to my faith in Skylar Thompson. I think this will be the game where Malik Knowles... I think Malik Knowles will have a somewhat inconsistent first couple of games. I think he'll show up during every other game, but I think this is where he establishes, okay, I'm the number one receiver. I think this is where he finally rips that away. Yeah, I'm excited to see that Malik Knowles. And I I agree. I think that game should be circled on the calendar as about when Malik Knowles should break out. Pen, like, And that's assuming that he doesn't just have an incredible year from the start, which would be unexpected. Amazing. I want yeah, that'd be great. I'd want that to happen, but I think it'll be a gradual emerge for Malik Knowles, and I'm really looking forward to seeing that. And I, I agree yeah. with you. I think that the passing game and the running game will... I think this will be the ultimate Chris Kleiman offense game. 
I think we're going to see the running game set up the passing game a lot, and we're going to see a very balanced attack in this game, and I think it's going to be a very efficiently run offensive game. Because a lot of other times, if we want to win, we're going to have to like up our passing and try and be more explosive. But against TCU, I, I feel like we can really do what we want and just get back to our game. Because I yeah. think we can lean on our defense a little bit there. Yeah, and uh, also worth noting, TCU went 6-4 and four last year with notable losses to K-State, Iowa State, and West Virginia. And that brings up the Sunflower the Showdown. The Sunflower Showdown against the University of Kansas. I don't think uh, we need to linger on this too long. I no, expect a blowout and nothing else. I do want to mention, because I think it's funny, K-State, not K-State, KU, the University of Kansas, did not win a single game last year, and they have a new head coach coming in this year, which while he's bringing in an influx of talent from Buffalo, with the ridiculous amount of transfers that have come in from there, it's, I don't think that they're anywhere near competing, even in Big 12 games. Yeah. And I I don't feel the need to linger on this any longer. It doesn't matter who's going to break out because everyone is going to have a good game against KU. KU will have one random player who will play somewhat well. Uh, see Andrew and his Parchment, name is Andrew wide Parchment. Receiver last year. Yep. He transferred. Oh, well, that's right. He did to like Florida State or something like that. He transferred to Florida State. So Kwame Lasser, I guess. That'll probably be the guy. Sure. Yeah, yeah. we'll say him. Um, I, I agree with you fully. Uh, it's going to be a struggle fest. Jalen Daniels will not be the guy. They have some transfer quarterback coming in from North Texas. I don't care. It doesn't matter. Um, it doesn't matter. Until KU beats K-State, like like we said with OU, I will assume that K-State will win. I, I think it's going to be a K-State victory just because yeah. for whatever reason, we can Kansas sports teams can only be good at one sport at a time. And KU has chosen basketball for the last 20 years, say for like a couple of fair. Like golden fair. seasons. Yeah, it's fair. Mm-hmm. They've been very good at basketball. So if I could trade off the success that they've had in basketball for sucking in another sport, I would probably take that. If that meant winning an Addy. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's, kind of a, that's kind of a fun debate that we could have sometime. Is it worth it? Yeah. But yeah, yeah KU, they lost a lot as well. Puka's gone. Uh, Parchment's gone. I think they lost some defensive linemen as well. They had a lot of guys transfer away, and they had yeah, which, yeah. they had like a five. They had like a high four-star receiver committed that ultimately um, decommitted because I don't think he made grades. No. Yeah, he didn't. He, made, he didn't make grades. So oh, and, and it's because he was originally committed to like USC, I believe, and uh, uh, he um, decommitted from there. And nobody else took him, so KU was able to get him. And very quickly it was found out that the only reason that they got him was because no one else could physically take him because of his grades. But he wasn't able to enroll at KU anyways, which that does kind of suck for them because that would have been their best commit in years. And he never even stepped on the field. I am excited to see Gavin Potter get put on skates again. That's going to be fun. That will never get old. Uh, I'll just say, like, I will forever be made such a wonderful memory. Pause the podcast right now if you're listening and go look up uh, Deuce Vaughn highlights and find that KU clip against Gavin Potter. It will, especially if you're a K-State fan, that will make you laugh for hours. Especially with the, the 
the added context that Gavin Potter was a K-State commit at one point and flipped to KU on signing day. And yes, he flipped to Texas Tech and then KU. Yeah, and talked and talked some, some smack on K-State as well, if I recall. And then he, he did. came out and just got utterly eviscerated. It's embarrassed. one of the more so satisfying funny. things I've ever seen. Because I don't normally root for, like, a player to I don't suck. root against people. But I don't root against people. He, but he's he's kind of special, right? <laughs> <laughs> he's different. He can, he can get bullied. Yeah, we'll, we'll allow it just this once. But yeah. moving on from the KU game, uh, we assume that's a victory. West Virginia. Yes. Oh boy. We're losing this game. I don't care. We're I don't think we game. beat West I've seen it happen too many times. Like we've said with KU and like we've said with OU, until Chris Kleiman proves he can beat the Neil Brown West Virginia Mountaineers, I'm just going to assume he can't. Yeah, I think it's it, going to be a painful loss. I I am not looking forward to this game at all. It's going to be November 13th. I bet this, this feels like a game that's going to be like 2.30 kickoff, and it's going to be like 13 degrees really windy and there's not even gonna be snow or anything cool like that it's just gonna be cold as hell and we're gonna jump out to a quick lead and we're gonna lose on like a last second field goal like 27 24 basically what happens like the last time we played West Virginia at home where we just lose in heartbreaking fashion I hope we win on paper I feel like we might be a better team than they are at this point in the year but we, we haven't proven that we can beat them. Yeah. We need to prove that we can beat Neil Brown. And we need to and Chris Kleiman needs to prove that he can out-scheme Neil Brown. Which I think is yeah. a possibility, but I'm just going to assume he can't until he does. Yeah. And this is especially important to note. Uh, West Virginia went 6-4 and four last year, including a victory over Army in the Aubrey, on the Liberty Bowl. <laughs> they, did not, uh, they didn't play in the Liberty Bowl. We did. Wait, no, that was two years ago. You're right, you're two right. Two years ago, this last year. Those they played Army in the Liberty playing Bowl. military academies in Liberty Bowl. In the Liberty Bowl. But this includes a 37-10 victory over K-State, where Will Howard... Score, you think it's, this this was a game where Will Howard just got absolutely it was close. It, it was never close. We never nope. came out that game. It was we played terrible that game. And they're still returning their starting quarterback, Jared Doge. Daggy. Daggy? Yeah, I Dagi. know. It doesn't look like it, but it is. It's going to be my thing. I, I've already told everyone it's going to be my thing. I'm going to miss how to everyone's Dagi. name. Teach me how Okay. Okay. Okay, well, that's it for the podcast. <laughs> yeah, we're never doing another episode. Anyway, he's still returning, and he's, for some ungodly reason, has just pants K-State on every occasion. But yeah, because K-State back in 2019, I'm pretty sure that was his first start. And West Virginia was in the it midst was. of a bad season. But Jared Dakey is the ultimate, not actually good, but just makes the right choices quarterback. He is a slant route machine. Like, yeah. he, if he just throws slants constantly. He's the ultimate West Coast offense quarterback. Like, he just throws short passes for days until somebody's Which just absolutely wide open downfield. Which is weird, because West Virginia runs Air Raid, which was the big problem with, uh, not the big problem, but that was Will Greer, yeah. the current backup for the Panthers. That was his big thing, was he didn't have the best arm strength, but good lord, could he just, he, it, 
I can't quote the meme exactly, but whenever the DeAndre Hopkins trade happened with the Arizona Cardinals, there's a popular meme that goes around. It's like, eh, forget it. DeAndre down is down there somewhere with Kyler Murray. Yeah. That was literally Will How that not Will Howard, Will Greer. Yeah. Of West Virginia. With uh, David Sills. <laughs> with David Sills. It was terrifying. I hated watching it. And I feel like that's just going to happen again. Until Chris Kleiman, and I know we base our ratings a lot off of the past. You can see that with the Oklahoma and West Virginia games. Until Chris Kleiman proves that he can beat an air raid team, which I think well, Oklahoma, you could count as an air raid team. I don't. They also just always have competent running backs, so I'm, I'm not quite comfortable calling them air raid. I just call I them just, spread. They're yeah, spread, and it until he proves that he can beat West Virginia, I don't think he can. So I have this penciled down as a loss, and us being seven and two up to this point. Yeah, I, I think that's about where I would put it. It's also the celebrate ag game. For some reason, yeah. interesting. No, Wait, will we be seven and two? Or will that be our tenth game? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. That'll be the tenth game. So we missed one. Okay, so, so we'll be. Oh, we forgot. I forgot to count KU as a game. Uh, eight <laughs> well, <and ten>. that's <laughs> fair. So eight and, and two. Which that's a, a great season. Up yeah. until that point, and eight and one going into the West Virginia game. Wow, that loss is going to hurt even more. And that's kind of where I'm going to go with the Baylor game. I think K-State, until until Kleiman gets in more of a groove, because I don't think two years, I'm not counting the COVID season, is enough to get into a groove. I think that once we lose one, it will come in bunches. And that's why the non-conference games are so important to me. I don't have us losing to Baylor. I have us playing Baylor very close, which is way scarier in my opinion, than I think them beating us. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think the Baylor's not going to be great. And I do think, I have this pencil one as a win. I think I see it as a bit more of a comfortable win than you do, mainly because we almost beat them this past season. And that was in the middle of us being just utter garbage. Like this was right after the yeah. Iowa State 45-0 loss. And Dave Aranda's yet to prove himself. He's the head coach of Baylor. He hasn't proved himself as a great head coach yet and I think it might take another season or two to really just get going so I see this as like a two touchdown win for the Wildcats in this game I'm a little bit more confident about it than you are but I think we both have pretty similar opinions about this next game after Baylor but yeah Baylor. so I, I actually have this I have us winning against Baylor uh yeah. it's worth noting that they went two and eight last year uh their two wins us. were against Kansas and Kansas State Baylor over the state um, of Kansas yeah, basically. So that that's a win. I hate to gloss over it, but there's not really much to say there. It all depends on what we do the previous week, in my opinion. Yeah. And here's the one blowout loss I have for us this season. Yep. It's Texas. Texas. Against Texas at Texas. On Black Friday. On a Fox Big Noon kickoff. Yeah. And the last game of the year. The last game of the year. We're, if we... we not counting the bowl game, which we have no way of predicting. Correct. So, let's hope it's national championship. No. Yeah, um, SCFP. That'll be easy. And, and maybe a Big 12 championship. If Honestly, if the season goes like we've written it, we may be in the conversation just because of the way the Big 12 cannibalizes itself. Yeah, like we honestly might be able to get in and play probably OU 
if that if this is how the season goes. Probably not going to happen. Because this, I think, is a pretty optimistic outlook on the season, despite our doom and gloom about, like, West Virginia and uh, Oklahoma State. But I, I think that we can uh, play pretty well. But, yeah, Texas, I don't see it personally as a blowout, but I think that it's going to be a loss that we are never in the lead. I think we lose by – I think two touchdowns is, like, the max that you can lose by and not consider it a, a start to get into blowout, blowout territory. Like, yeah. I think three touchdowns is where you start to like have it as a blowout, and yeah. I, I see us losing by like fourteen to seventeen points. I think Texas beats us like 35-21 ish, and we never lead this game. I think we come out flat and we start to pull it together in the second half. And I think Texas has a huge first half and the defense clamps down in the second half, but I don't think that we ever are, we just can't quite do enough to come back because we just, I think we just dig ourselves a huge hole here. Yeah, and I, I think my hot take is this is this is going to be Skylar Thompson's one terrible game of the year. I don't yeah. think he'll play any other awful games. I think he'll play okay in games like West Virginia. And I think he plays well in just about every other game. And of course he goes off against Oklahoma, but I feel like this is the one game where... I honestly think it might get so bad that Kleiman has to genuinely consider leaning more on running game or maybe even bringing in Will Howard on a few sub packages. That's how bad I think that this game could go. Damn. You, you are not excited for Scott Thompson to play Texas. I'm no, not, I'm not. I, I did not realize like how... how how worried you were for this game? Because I'm not excited for it at all. But you, you were like genuinely, like terrified at the prospect of this game, and I don't blame you. And Although, granted, I think I, that we always will stand a chance if Steve Sarkeesian remains the head coach of Texas. Uh oh yeah, I was about to say, didn't they change coaches? But no, Steve Sarkeesian is the coach. Yeah. And I, they went seven and three this last year with losses to TCU, Oklahoma, and Iowa State. Other than TCU, they lost to the hottest teams in the Big 12 this last year. Yep. Um, they do replace, they do replace the quarterback. Uh, Ellinger's gone. Yeah. yeah. And, Which, uh, it'll be interesting to see who they get there. I think it's Casey, Casey Thompson, I think, is I, I think in. you're right. And they also are replacing their, their leading tackler. He was a safety. I don't recall his name off the top of my head. But he... Uh, um, is transferring somewhere. I don't recall where. Maybe Tennessee. Okay. But other than that, yeah. it's Texas, so they're still going to have athletes everywhere, regardless. It just depends on if they're well-coached. And, I don't know, this is, this is going to be a tough game for K-State. They probably don't win it. But, I don't know, maybe the excitement of playing on Black Friday on national TV, maybe that helps them. Like, and if K-State manages to get hot at the end of the year, like a lot of Bill Snyder teams used to, uh, then they stand a chance in this game, especially Texas is kind of slouching a little bit. Like, yep. like I don't want to never say never on this game. I just think that they're they're unlikely to win this game. It's maybe the least likely win on the schedule. Other than, yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd say so, probably that. And I think that they stand a chance, but it's not great outside looking in. But yeah. hey, it's the last game of the year. A lot of things are going to change from June 4th to November 26th. So, yeah, who knows? But from 
our perspective right now, it doesn't look great. But we'll see. So you, so you, you and I both have seven and four, but that's that's our optimistic projections. I think the I think the eight and four. Let's go on. Right. Eight. Yeah. Eight and four. I was sorry. Did you um, KU again? I, yeah, I, I keep forgetting KU. <laughs> um, that that is our optimistic projections. However, I will say, like I said at the very beginning, I think that it is possible. I think the worst that will go in non-cons is one and two. I think we beat Stanford. Yeah. Um, I think Southern Illinois might give us headaches. So I think the most likely is two and one because University of Nevada scares me. That's it's a possibility we go two and one in non-cons, and then suddenly you get Oklahoma State and Oklahoma back to back. And then Iowa State after that. Games. Say we lose those two games, going into Iowa State, we have no momentum. We're two and three on the season, and we have to get through the hardest part of the season with no, with no momentum. The only benefit of the only thing we'll have going for us in that Iowa State game is that we'll have a bye week, so we'll have a reset. Yeah, we have a bye week right before, and that's that's it. So if we're if we're going to that game after losing two in a row, it maybe three in a row with Nevada, then yeah, I. The bye week will really help, but man, that'll be a tough game. Luckily, we'll have Texas Tech after that, TCU at home, at KU, so we kind of go through a soft part of the schedule after that. Yeah. So yeah, we, for for as optimistic as we are, we, there are a lot of games that we were not sure about, which I think is both the horror and the best part of K-State football. It's like a box of chocolates. You really never know what you're going to get. Yeah, like... I, I think this team has, realistically, I think the floor here is five and seven. Four and eight, if we just have unbelievable injury issues, like literally catastrophic, worst injury issues you've ever seen in your life. Because I, th- I do think we get, I, I don't think we're going to come out of non-conference winless. If we do, then... On the alarm bells. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, just burn, burn the whole thing down at that point. But I think yeah. worst case, we come out of non-conference one and two, lose to OSU, lose to OU. So at that point, we're one and four, lose to Iowa State one and five, then win against Tech, TCU, KU, and so we'd be four and five, and four and five. Uh, then take and go one and two in the last three games, and just kind of dealer's choice, honestly, on who we win, who we lose to there. Yeah, and that'd be worst case. Best case, I still think we'd probably lose to like Oklahoma State on the road and West Virginia or Texas, but this could be a ten-win team at its absolute peak with some lucky breaks. Yeah, I one hundred percent agree with that. But realistically, we're going to be seven and five, eight and four, somewhere around there. Yeah. So solid year. Realistically, yeah, solid year in Kleiman's third season. I'm calling it his second. Yeah. Yeah, basically yeah, basically second. Which leads to the next and second to last segment of the show. Uh, I promise not every episode long, it's just the introductory episode. We gotta get everything in the season in. I don't blame you if you listen to this in parts. But let's talk about I have two players in particular. Let's talk about the breakout players. I have two players in my mind that I think will be in contention for a all Big 12 spot. 
and I think there are people that, one, not necessarily coming out of absolutely nowhere, but the other, I feel, will surprise people with how good he is. I'm not saying first team all Big 12, I'm saying that they make second or third team all Big 12. Do you have, how many people do you have that you think fit that, that description for big breakouts of the 2021 and 2022 season? Big breakouts to contend for all Big 12. When I was thinking of breakouts, I more did guys that hadn't really done anything and I thought would become solid contributors. I just kind of no names before, but... Yeah, which is fair. If we want to do that, I think that there's probably a few options here and there. I think I see one, two, three, four... I'll go with, like, four guys, I think, that realistically could push. But I want to hear yours first. So, for the people that I think that could make runs at all Big 12, or at least be... uh, Maybe all Big 12 is me being way too optimistic, but one person I think will genuinely generate a lot of draft hype going into this next year, and that is defensive back Justin Gardner. That is, I think that with the way that our defensive backs are set up with people like uh, Russ Yeast, Justin Gardner, the one that you keep mentioning that I keep Julius Brents. Julius Brents, T. Denson, um, Echo. Echo Boydo, and Jerron McPherson. It's very easy for that defensive backfield to cannibalize itself. That being said, of all all of the defensive backs that I saw last year, that whenever they started getting into their groove, I was most impressed with Justin Gardner. Because Justin Gardner had a few moments of this last year where I genuinely thought, he's the only bright spot on this defense. And I'm including when Wyatt Hubert was playing. There were a lot of times that I looked at him and was like, wait a minute, he has prototypical size at 6'2", 180. He has relatively long arms. He played exceptionally well at Oklahoma. He would cover receivers that would be draft picks in future drafts, and even this draft. I think Justin Gardner makes a genuine move to, while not necessarily get first-round hype, I think that he very easily could be and generate enough hype just on the prototypical size and how he plays. I think he'll get genuine day-two hype as a cornerback which is saying a lot considering, like I said, the amount of defensive backs we have and how they might be able to collapse in on themselves in terms of draft value just because we have so many guys that can play. So that's that's probably my, my biggest person that I believe in for this next year, and that's senior defensive back and corner Justin Gardner out of Hutchinson Community College. I like that. I like that pick. And I noted, you said before that you had a defensive back that you thought was a good breakout candidate. And is it Echo Boido? Um, my defensive back, oh gosh, who did I pick? Yeah, I think it actually, yeah, it was Echo. Mainly because I think he at times flew under the radar. And he, uh, he didn't end up with an interception last year. He technically had one against TCU, but it got called back because of that really weird... Uh, targeting penalty against White Hebert. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that yeah. was that was a whole saga. But he had an interception on that Hail Mary that 
uh, missing Kate. But I think Echo Boydo, in, in, if we're looking at it from an all Big 12 standpoint, I think is a uh, potential breakout guy. But in terms of guys that uh, go from not really doing anything to producing, I think maybe we could be seeing Amaris Brown. He's a redshirt freshman. I think technically he'd be considered a sophomore. Uh, uh, he'd be he'd be a guy to look for, I think, because he was a pure depth guy last year, and we're kind of thin at secondary. Our top tier guys are really great, but we're not gonna have a lot of rotational guys. And I think Amaris Brown is one of those few guys that can actually see the field and uh, not be a detriment uh, at the yeah. secondary spot. I, I'm really excited for his future. And because that's kind of where I went from for breakout players, just guys to kind of come out of nowhere and just start get their name out there, basically. Yeah. Which I, I think I haven't seen enough of Amaris Brown to really say, but I... I there's almost no way that he's not better than a certain someone who will remain nameless because we don't, we don't like dumpstering on people on this podcast. But right. if, if there's almost yeah. no way that he remains better. Yeah, if that you're he plugged, remains worse. Yeah, if you're plugged in to KC football, you know the certain defensive back that we're talking about. But ultimately, we want we want the best for him. We want him to perform well because if he performs well, that's good for the team. That's good for him. But he had some. Uh, not bright moments last year, particularly getting juked out a few times. But I, I do think yeah. that he could still he, he could still be a contributor, like if he uh, just figures a few things out. But we're not going to dump on him on here. Uh, and, that's just kind of hopefully we're both wrong and he ends up being literally the best defensive back in the nation. I hope we're wrong. Yeah, <laughs> hopefully he could be an All American and get drafted like number one overall. I'd be fine with that personally. Probably not gonna I'd happen. Be okay with that. <laughs> yeah, it probably won't happen, but it, it'd be cool if it did. Then um, yeah. um, I'll just go through my other breakout guys now. Uh, yep. Defensive ends. I had a guy, uh, Felix Anadike. I mentioned him briefly. Uh, he is allegedly an athletic freak, and went completely under the radar. And I think he was actually a North Dakota State commit, and switched when uh, uh, when Chris Kleinman. That came about, and he may have gray shirted. I'm not exactly sure what the deal is with him, um, but I'm I'm quite excited uh, for for his future, um, just because I think that defensive end that's an exciting young room because we have Nate Matlick and Felix Anadike. Those are both really young guys. Then Spencer Trussell, I think, has probably made some steps. Khalid Duke will only be a junior. Like that's just defensive end. I, I really like that future. Yeah. So, and then Braden Wood, defensive tackle. He's a true freshman. I think he'll be fun in the future. He'll probably be yeah. team captain at some point, honestly. Yeah, and I think he, I think the defensive tackle room, it's not the youngest room, but it, I feel like transfer from UNC Charlotte, Timmy Horn, I feel like he'll give a lot of people room to grow in that regard. And I feel like of all the people that might just go under someone's wing, I feel like Braden Wood might go under Timmy Horn's wing. Yeah, Timmy Horn is a guy that I I think could be a game changer for this defense, just being an anchor in the middle of the off of the, in the middle of the defensive line. If you can just plug the middle there, that's all we need from him. Like, because yeah. he's a huge guy. 
And he's been he's a productive player. Yeah. And he's been a productive player for multiple seasons. Like, if he can just go in there and be an above-average defensive tackle, which K-State has had a lot of pretty good pretty good defensive tackles uh, the last few years. Like Trey Deshaun, uh, what's his name? Drew, Drew Wiley. Drew Wiley, uh, Will Geary. Uh, um, the, they, they have a pretty good lineage there. Eli Huggins is another guy that's good at defensive tackle. Uh, Jalen Pickle kind of looked good last year. Pickle, yeah, he's still here. Yeah, he is. And he'll be junior. Uh, so, so our defensive line is good. Yep. Was Timmy Horn your next breakout guy? No, it wasn't. It was I told the two I have were a defensive back and a running back. Yeah. And the running back is someone you sold me on this last year. And I I stewed on this because originally I was just gonna say Justin Gardner was gonna be the breakout guy, but then I started thinking about this running back, the I believe the only running back. My apologies. He is one of three running backs that is six foot or above, and someone you very much have sold me on. That is running back Jacardier Wright no. out of Decatur, Illinois. Um, thank you for so, joining the dark side. Thank you for joining the dark side. <laughs> yes. I. The reason why I believe in Jacardier Wright so much is because I think that he very much has the potential to just be a better version of what Harry Trotter was. Because as much as I love running back Deuce Vaughn, as much as both of us love Deuce Vaughn, as much as PFF, for Pro Football Focus, loves Deuce Vaughn, he's not someone that will inherently be successful in running between the tackles. You just, you're just not going to be a power runner, which K-State likes running power. You're not going to be a successful power runner putting your shoulder down at five foot five, 171 pounds. If that's just a recipe for getting hurt. And while I believe in his short area quickness and his agility on the outside, Deuce Vaughn is not going to be that person. And I feel like the fact that Harry Trotter was getting snaps at all last year speaks to that fact. And I feel like Jacardier Wright will step in to be that more power back role. Because he still has speed, he still has size, his vision is unproven, but God help us if he can if he can't manage two yards a handoff every time like we've had in the past. I feel like Jacardier Wright will step in as the counterpunch to Deuce Vaughn on power runs and maybe even show a little bit of receiving upside. I don't think this running back room is going to be a one-man show. I think it's going to be a one-two punch between Deuce Vaughn as the lead back and Jacardier Wright as the second back who comes in for power and maybe sprinkle in a little bit of Keon Mosey or Joe Irvin to spell the two backs. But those are my two big, big breakout candidates for this next year. Justin Gardner, who I think will make a genuine push to be drafted this year as he is a senior. And Jacardier Wright, who is a sophomore, who I have a lot of faith in to be the proper counterpunch to Deuce Vaughn. Yeah, I, I really like Jacardier Wright as well. I'm glad that you do I'm glad that you do too now. I, I see the running back room as a four man committee with Deuce Vaughn being the clear leader and then Jacardier, Joe, and Keon uh, being the uh, uh, the guys that are rotating in situationally. Like what Keon come in like run like a wheel route or a jet sweep. Jacardier will be our power back and he's a little bit more athletic than he gets credit for. And then Joe Irvin, yeah. he's kind of a do it all guy. And I really like him. 
And uh, the, Mr. Hardy was not one of my breakout guys, although he probably should be. Uh, on offense, I had two guys. Uh, one of them is an offensive lineman. One of them is a receiver. Uh, for offensive line, I have Cooper Beebe. Uh, Cooper Beebe, yeah, there he is. Yeah, he, I, he's going to be – I think he's supposed to be the starting left tackle this year because Katori Leviston was our starting left tackle last year, but he just, like uh, – he just couldn't quite put it together. Like, he has the frame for it, and he's decently athletic, but he just couldn't quite figure it out. And hopefully he does, but for now, Cooper BB is the guy. And I'm looking forward to that a lot. And I, I think that he has such a massive ceiling. Even though his natural position is an offensive guard, I think that, regardless, he's still just a naturally gifted player. And I foresee him having a borderline All-Big 12 season as a redshirt freshman. And I'm really looking forward to seeing that. And my other guy on offense that I see breaking out, not to the All-Big 12 status, but just to the role of a producer, is Keenan Garber at receiver. I think that Garber... Really? Yes. I think he started to get some snaps last year. Towards the end of the year, he didn't do a ton. But I think that if there's a year for a receiver to break through, this is the year. And Garber, he was an ESPN four-star recruit, which, I mean, we can debate the validity of ESPN's rankings, and that's totally fair. But I really like his potential. He has so much potential because he's just so fast. Like, And he's got a good frame as well. So I think that if he can perform in the way that I think he can, he might be the fourth leading receiver. I don't see him having an all-big 12 year or anything, but I think a breakout year for him would be something like 300 yards and one big game. And hopefully that game could be against um, KU because he's from Lawrence and K-State yep. beat him out uh, for the hometown yeah. guy because he came he came here with Deneen back in the day. Yep, Jax Deneen, my favorite player on the entirety. I love Deuce Vaughn, but I, I have to respect Jax Deneen being the best. He's not 5'10". I, no. I had a class with him. He's not 5'10". Yeah, he's 5'9". Easily 260. No way. He, he's a walking refrigerator, and I adore him because he runs passes. Like, he can catch passes, and he's a very willing participant in blocking. And I just... He's someone that... And this is speaking to him personally... He's someone that you can always tell is in the room, and he carries a chip on his shoulder, and I adore that. And also, I adore the fact that he's a walking refrigerator who, I really hope he doesn't hear me calling him walking refrigerator, because he will find me and kill me. But, <laughs> Jacksonine is my favorite player on this team, and it's going to be genuinely sad whenever he graduates. I'm going to be genuinely sad. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I love Jax. I do hope that he's never the leading receiver again for us. He shouldn't be ever because he had like one game this year where he was the leading receiver and I think it was Oklahoma State. But I... Uh, yeah, let's not do that again. <laughs> yeah, I love Jax, but I don't want to be the leading receiver. But I'm grateful for him for bringing Keenan Garber along with him. And Keenan, yes. he has blazing speed. And I think if... I think Malik Knowles probably breaks out this year, becomes an All-Big 12 guy, like honorable mention maybe. And I think that opens the door for somebody else to just break through. And there's honestly a number of guys who could do this. True freshman, Brennan Hawkins, is a great
three guy that I think might make an early entry into the rotation. Jalen Travis is a young guy that we haven't seen yet. I think Shabazzin Taylor, like he, there's a decent chance that he may slip if he can't perform to the level that I think he can. And Phillip Brooks mm -hmm. may, he'll probably stay in the slot role. So that leaves room for another guy to emerge. And that could be Keenan Garber. I think it's most likely going to be Keenan Garber should the need arise for a new guy. But Jalen Travis, Brennan Hawkins, RJ Garcia is going to be a true freshman. Those are all guys to keep an eye on. Uh, also, even Ty Bowman, uh, uh, a walk-on redshirt freshman from Shenmue. He's a guy to keep an eye on. We were talking about him earlier. Um, he's six foot four, two sixteen. He was a tight end for a while, I think, but then they just moved him to receiver just because he couldn't put the weight on, I think. And uh, that there's a lot of guys to look out for in this receiver room, and not that any of them are going to be outstanding, save for Knowles, who has that potential, and maybe some of the younger guys have potential to be that, but not going to be out this year. But there's there's guys that haven't contributed before that I think we should look forward to contribute now. Yeah. And that that's the that's the story of the, the the wide receiver room. That's the story of the wide receiver room is it's wide open. I feel while Malik Knowles will step in and be a competent contributor, I feel like number two through even five is completely wide open. I totally agree. So that, that takes us to, I think, our last segment, which is just miscellaneous. And I believe we had one specific topic that we uh, wanted to cover here. Yeah, it's it. Well, this is the wacky story of the week segment. Yeah, yeah the, the legend of Reginald Stubblefield. <laughs> yeah. He, uh, so... for those unfamiliar, K-State has been hitting the transfer portal pretty hard this year. And Reggie Stubblefield uh, was a defensive back from Prairie View A&M that entered the transfer portal. And K-State reached out to him and offered him, and he committed. And it was found that on uh, some of his tweets, he embellished some of his stats. Like, he said he had, like, nine blocked kicks and, like, like 15 interceptions or something like that. And that was not true. People, like, went through his stats and were just like, no, that's, that's simply not true. So I, some people were thinking that the coaching staff got like catfished. I think that's, I think that's ridiculous. Honestly, I don't think there's any way that a Power Five coaching staff didn't do their homework on a prospect, at least yeah, in terms no. of uh, their stats. Like they would have at least called the coach and been like, "Hey, nine blocked kicks. That's kind of a lot. Did he actually do that?" <laughs> for the for the meme, yes, but for in reality, I don't think K State's coaching staff is that incompetent. No. Right. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And Reggie, he uh, committed, and he was committed for all of a week, if, if that. And he ended up uh, announcing, I think it was either today or yesterday, that he was leaving K-State uh, for, I think, he had something, that, he had some way that he worded it in his tweet. It was like, unforeseen circumstances or something like that. Yes, that's how he worded it. I'm gonna look up the tweet right now. Yeah, I. So. To to kind of spoil the story. This man went from, I think about a month, being committed to K State, moving up from an FCS school in Prairie View A and M as a defensive back, to being committed to to K State, 
after decommitting from a different college to commit to K-State, and then proceeded to say, I don't want to go to K-State anymore. I'm going to prepare for the NFL draft. This man has been on quite the roller coaster ride, and he's taken us all along with it. And I'm both terrified by this man's roller coaster, <laughs> and I just. <laughs> what can you say? Just man? happy to be here, Reggie. And the exact quote is, uh, however, life isn't always filled with glory and situations of hardship which build you to become stronger in the future. With that being said, due to unfortunate circumstances, I will not be enrolling at Kansas State this year. And then he said he's focusing his time solely on uh, preparing for the uh, 2022 draft, which I don't think he was a prospect for at all. No. And this... uh, very interesting saga, to put it mildly, extremely mildly. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh... So... Um, sorry, you get over it. I can't get over it. <laughs> yeah, that was, uh... <laughs> it was a very strange experience to go through, but it's now over, and... What this does for K-State, besides uh, provide us laughs, um, is it, is it, it all of a sudden reopens a hole in the secondary, because really the only defensive hole that K-State has is in a defensive uh, nickelback, where we just mm-hmm. don't really have a guy there. And Richie Sellefield was going to at least partially fill that role, and now that he's gone, uh, that reopens a hole that we've just not been able to fill in the offseason so far. And that that's kind of the one area of concern, and that's another reason to be worried about coverage over the middle of the field. And I, I think that K-State just has to try and find a transfer before the year starts. And it's June now, and it's going to be really difficult to find a transfer at this point. Yeah. But... So I, I think that actually uh, that pretty well concludes everything that we needed to say. I think so, yeah. I think we're we're at the end after two hours and 41 minutes of podcast. Which, yeah. I, so I don't think it's ever going to be this long again. I it's hope. not going to be. Except for maybe uh, like pre-draft specials and preseason specials. Yeah, but this is just a, a first episode. We're feeling it all out right now. This is the first time that either of us have hosted. We've been on podcasts before, but we've never been a uh, host before. So this is a little bit longer than it'll normally be. But in the future, we are uh, really looking forward to continuing to provide K-State content. Yeah. Uh, follow us at Aggieville A. Uh, which we, I, I'm not sure what happened there. It's just Aggieville A, which I, is fine. It's I don't shorter. know either. I, I put it as <laughs> Aggieville Alleycats, and Twitter just said no. <laughs> Maybe it's too many characters. It could have been. Follow us uh, on Twitter at AggieBillA. Send any questions that you have for us, whether they be personal, football, K-State football, K-State sports, any sport. Feel free to send us an email and put a title of your question at AggieBillAllyCats at gmail.com. My name is Ace Edwards. Follow me at ACEdwards00 on Twitter with the official host of Connor. Follow him at Connor Balthazar on Twitter. 
and thank you for all joining us the for the inaugural episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats. And for all intents and purposes, Ema, let's get him, and I'll see you next week, month. And although we've never been back, we're certainly here now. Cats by 90. Cats by 90.